<laughs> it's good to be here on this Tuesday. Ben, I'm here. What do you want me to say? Ben's laughing because no, two, no, no, two no, seconds no, before no, no, I started what, what, talking, I, I said, I, what are we doing here? Our outtake show is going to be the show. That's what we, we're going we're gonna to have just as many. Hey, listen, you got to subscribe to the Saint. Our outtakes. Once we get the outtake show going, that we can, you know, the part that we can let you listen to, that stuff is going to be gold. Because Kevin goes, what am I doing here? What am I doing? Oh, that's right. And the intro, <laughs> the intro music was playing. And wait, wait I, I was where, wondering where, what was where, happening. Where, where am I? I'm oh, in, that's right. I'm in an alternate universe all of a sudden. <laughs> we have so much to get to. Apparently, I don't, uh, according to what I'm thinking today. But no, we got a lot to get to on the show. Uh, Rich Styles will join us. PGA Championship this week, the next major. Phil Mickelson not playing, although apparently a tell-all book set to come out on Phil. Uh, we'll talk about that. Great pairing at the uh, the PGA Championship. We got Tiger, Jordan Spieth, and Rory all together. We'll ask Rich about that. Also, Turon Davenport, ESPN Nation covers the NFL, Tennessee Titans, obviously with rookie minicamps. We'll talk about uh, Malik Willis, Traylon Burke, some of these rookies coming in. I know we, we, we talked about the hype, uh, Ben, about uh, you know what was going on with Desmond Ritter and the Falcons, and now you look at, uh, obviously, Malik Willis is probably going to get as much hype as uh, as Desmond Ritter does there in Nashville. And, uh, you know, sorry. <laughs> sorry, Ryan Tannehill. They're going to talk more about that guy until he actually gets in, but he'll join us coming up. In uh, hour number two. And then Ken Segura, AJC.com, will join us. He covers Georgia Tech. Uh, Jeff Collins and company getting a big transfer. And Tyson Famicon from Clemson, uh, former five-star quarterback, transfers in there to Atlanta. And EJ Jenkins, a, uh, a wide receiver, transfers in from South Carolina. So we'll talk to Ken Segura about that. And certainly uh, nobody taking it easy on Georgia Tech in the ACC with their scheduling that that's, uh, that's coming out. So we'll talk to uh, Ken about that and what to look forward to with the fall there in Atlanta. Ben and I will take a look at the Falcons' defensive line, at least what it looks like right now, uh, and we'll get to that coming up here in just a little bit. But the Braves lose again last night, and a lot of people disheartened. Christian Gokel, you can hear it in his voice on second down. Just absolute devastation. Yeah, He's coming in. Is it time to panic yet? Like, everybody in this office like comes to me and is like, is it okay to panic? Like, you feel how you want to feel. Like, there's, like it's, it's okay. Are they playing well? No. I mean, one to nothing is a tough way to lose. I it get is. it. And for all the gnashing of teeth about the Braves, that sometimes you're in a game like that and you made one bad pitch, that cost you the game. Literally, a wild pitch cost you the game, you lose one to nothing. But 16 strikeouts, that's not—that's brutal. That's the part, Kevin, that you said. Like you said, 27 hours of baseball, people. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, 16 strikeouts. That, that just shows that, one, it seems to be a trickle-down thing, right? It seems like we... It's one thing when we just talk about Dangerous Swans and him going through his slump, but then it seems like guys are pressing. Because I will say this. I don't know what it's like to be coming off a world championship team and you trying to – it's not so much you're trying to repeat more that you're not trying to fall off a cliff. Because you, you know that now you got the eyes of the nation because everybody wants to watch the, world, the defending World Series champs and see what you're doing. But, Kevin, as you mentioned, I mean, that Ronald Cooney Jr. effect is I, not, not to place more on him than he already has – but the team is, you know, they pressing right now. And thank God that, you know, when it comes to an MLB season, it is a marathon like no other. But when you watch the Braves, you say, man, they lost one to nothing. Was it? Which means the defense really on both sides was elite last night, except for a wild pitch that got away, uh, you know, from the Braves. But I just think that the thing about this Braves team is I don't want them to have that all or nothing type games. Like either they look really good when they win or they look really bad. 
when they lose, you kind of want to not not to not to take a you know not to take something from old Saint Nick, old Nick Saban. <laughs> really want to have some parity with this team to be able to say, hey, can we just get back to parity? Yeah, yeah. And, no, I'm and, just kidding. And, I mean, how I mean, how much does a person? How much does the interviewer messed up when? I mean, you messed up my whole interview to flow when you say I want parity. Well, who's saying it, Nick Saban? <laughs> Well, well, when, well, when did he ever have parody? <laughs> anyway, I, I, I do think that this Braves team just needs to, like, you know, breathe a little bit, understand that, look, look, man, let just get a hit, more than two hits, because you can't have two hits and 16 strikeouts. Like, that, 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 because that means that multiple guys are out there just, you know, you know, uh, flailing their balls, really, really not having that patience and that aggressiveness on it, well, maybe too aggressive uh, on them, on you know, uh, at the plate, but just just trying to be able to make contact with the ball. But it, you know, uh, ugly, ugly loss uh, for the Braves. Obviously, I've seen a lot uglier, but I do think Kevin, when you think about a team like the Braves right now or any pro team, you got somebody like somebody, somebody go, somebody make a hit, somebody get on base, somebody. You know, somebody put us in scoring position because that's the thing about baseball. You you want to have a lineup like the Braves to where anybody can have the hot hand. But I don't need everybody to be cold. I don't need to have a whole bunch of hitters up there because then, Kevin, the last thing you want a, 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 a hitter to do is be thinking at the play. I don't want you up there thinking too much. I mean, be, you know, go listen, go through your routine, you know, because you could tell because it's one thing to say, oh, Dansby are, you know, uh, Ozzy. But then when it's Dansby, Ozzy, Matt, Mar- Marcel, everybody. That's when, because you know, I will say this, you know, uh, when BJ when, when BJ comes back, this show will be the, the the beginning of the show will be totally. Oh, so you're gonna act like no, 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 no. The Braves in the last four years, we've gone through it all. Like we've seen it all from postseason, regular season, we've seen it all. The one thing we haven't done yet, Kevin, is how do they react after winning the World Series, like they, which they're going through right now. Season is still season is still young. For you Mets fans out there, no one believes you. I don't care. I just don't believe it right now. But for those Braves, I just think that what it is, Kevin, is I be asking, is it just something going on with the ball club right now? I'd rather it be, all right, man, we got like a can't hit a baseball bug right now. I get it. But I do think the thing about baseball is you got to have the shortest memory because it's every day. So whatever happened, if they if they coming up a win or a loss, you got to move on. But hopefully, a one Ronald Acuna Jr. will get back into the lineup sooner rather than later because I think he just provides a boost, not just for the ball club, but for that you know before that dugout man to be able to say, look man, if the Braves are a team that's not having fun in the dugout now, they got the weirdest dugout in baseball now. Don't look over there because Marcel and Ozzy, and now they got Orlando to go along with Marcel and Ronald Acuna. A different kind of weirdness over there. But when they when they're just playing baseball, like going like business as you, I don't want the ba- I don't want Braves to be like Snit. I don't I, I don't want it to be like that. I want it to be a fun, you know, energetic, enthusiastic baseball team because it seems like Kevin when they're doing that, they seem to play their best. Yeah, and again, we'll see what happens with this Braves team. We'll see if Acuna is back in the lineup tonight. Again, it I get it. They're taking it slow, but you see him out there going first to third and. <laughs> In drills before the game last night, and yet he's not playing in the games uh, at night. Gets uh, a little frustrating. You want him to get it back out there, so we'll see if the Braves put him out there. Also announced today uh, that Tyler Matzik going on the 15-day uh, injured list, retroactive back a few days uh, here uh, in in May, so he's going to miss at least a couple of weeks. Uh, a lot of people, is it shoulder inflammation? So a lot of people think maybe it's just uh, tired arm, dead arm from last year, all the use he got. And just his body hasn't recovered uh, from some of that.
from a season ago. Maybe needs a couple weeks to get rested up and and well. Uh, they call up Tucker Davidson. He's going to get the start tonight for the Braves. Tucker Davidson, a highly thought of prospect who's been down at uh, AAA, pitched in the postseason last year uh, for the Braves, and we'll get back out there tonight against the Brewers. Braves have finally lost three in a row, Ben. So that streak is uh, uh, okay. is over now. Now we've got to win three in a row. How yeah, about that? Yeah. So we'll see if uh, if they can get going. But Tyler Matzik on the disabled list. He will be out for the uh, the next 15 days or so there in Atlanta. It happens in baseball. I, I will say this. The injury situation in baseball is always different because it ain't like uh, – like in, in most things, you're like, oh, yeah, he, he going to miss half of the year. <laughs> Oh, he's going to miss three months. It'd be, oh, he's on the 15-day DL. What? Yeah, 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 bones heal differently in baseball. You know, <laughs> well, it's, it's more it, muscular and stuff like that. Yeah, well, listen, like, like with pitchers, they're going to have elbow stiffness or elbow soreness. Or Listen, as long as you don't hit that, you know, as long as, long as you don't get that, you know, that, 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 uh, that two first name, that Tommy John, you don't want to hear that when it comes to no pitcher. Yep. You know, but other than that, I mean, look, I, like I say, Kevin, when – Sorry, Kevin, you're the mood guy when it comes to the Braves and the network. Everybody comes in. I mean, Christian, look at you. I feel like I should have a couch in the studio and be like, <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, yeah. lay it on me. Well, listen, listen, we're gonna have, listen, listen. When we do our, when we do the ESPN Coastal Reality Show, it's going to be the best radio reality show you ever see because it's going to be, Kevin's going to be in saying, come in, Christian. So you think, I already told you no. I told you no this morning. <laughs> Don't come in here during second down and say. But so they just keep gonna, striking out I, so much. <laughs> they keep striking out so much. It's better I will say this. Listen. For a Braves team that is pressing, I get it. For a Braves team that I guess at this point has underwhelmed, I get it. But the reason why, listen, disappointment only comes through expectation. There is an expectation when it comes to them boys, you know what I'm saying, out of Truist Park. I get it. They just ain't getting it done right now, Kevin. But if Kevin is cool, I am cool. Now, if Kevin goes in his office and closes the door and I hear, God, you got to be. You start hearing things hit the wall. Boom, yeah, bam, then. boom. And then you go, come in. Now, if that starts happening, that's a bit different. But until that what's, happens. What's funny is I get this a lot. I, and, again, I get this from, like, a lot of different people. They're like, when, when is it time to start worrying? It's like, uh, you, you want me to pick a date on the couch like or on the calendar, like 3 o'clock? 3 o'clock on June 10th? Like, this. Like I get it. They're, what, six, seven games behind. They're not playing well. It's still a long season. I believe the Braves will figure it out. Just check the lineup. Ronald Acuna is back at the Let's top of that it. lineup. So, again, hopefully that's a much-needed you know, uh, injection of life into the lineup. But look, we saw that. And again, I'm not saying it's the it's not the best way to go about it, right? I mean, I, most people are like, oh, they'll figure it out and they'll turn it on. Ben, you've been around teams. The teams that sit around and go, hey, I know we're we're 0 and 4, we're 1 and 4 the first five games. We're going to turn it on and turn it around. And then you do it. You go, well, that's not really a good strategy to to say, hey, what gets late in the season? We're just going to turn it on and suddenly get it going. I understand that. It's still a long season. We haven't even got to June yet. I'm a big all-star break guy. If you're out of it at the all-star break, you probably are, are, are done. If you're within striking distance, and what's striking distance? Four or five games with over two months to go? That's easily made up. You're talking about less than a game a week you have to make up. I, that's, to me, that's more doable. And you're going to have head-to-head series coming down the stretch. Not time to panic, Braves fans. Just calm down like the Falcons fans. You calm down on Desmond Ritter being Russell Wilson, and Braves fans, you calm down on the season is over here in the uh, in the middle portion of May. We got so much to get to. We might not want to get calmed down for is that's college football. It is coming quickly, and we are today. We get the opening college game day site, and you look at those week one games, Ben. Unbelievable. We'll talk about some of those and more. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. Love to hear from you. 912-342-7184. Your thoughts on the opening week of college football, the Falcons D line. Can you name five? Of the starting Falcons D lineman without looking it up. Not not named Grady Jarrett. 
Uh-oh. Well, there's less than – okay. So take Grady Jarrett out. Can you name a Falcons defensive line? We'll leave it at that. We'll get to that later in the show as well. It's three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here three and out on this Tuesday. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, we are counting it down towards college football. I know you're college football. But rapidly, I mean, we are just a, uh, what, another week and a half until we are, what, the, to the 90-day mark of college football. So we are rapidly uh, uh, getting there towards 100 days to go to the start of college football. We find out today, Ben, week one, college game day, going to be at the shoe for Ohio State and Notre Dame. So you got a lot to look forward to in the first weekend of college football, Ben. you got Ohio State, Notre Dame, Georgia, Oregon. FSU at LSU mm. on a Sunday, Florida and Utah, mm. West Virginia Pitt, North Carolina App State, just some of the more intriguing matchups. Again, are they all going to be top five matchups? No, but very, very intriguing matchups. Again, if Florida State beats LSU in Death Valley, are we talking about a revival there in, uh, in Tallahassee? If Florida bumps off Utah, maybe one of the preseason favorites there in the Pac-12, is that a kick in the teeth? Two to Pac-12 and their potential uh, postseason hopes. You got two former Southern Cal quarterbacks playing in the uh, the backyard brawl in West Virginia at Pitt. You got North Carolina minus Sam Howell minus a number of uh, of folks against App State, who's been a very consistent top twenty-five program out of the Sun Belt because you have an upset in Week One there. And Georgia, Oregon, Kirby Smart, Dan, uh, Dan, yeah, Kirby Smart, Dan Lanning, Dan Lanning in, uh, in in Week Number One there. Uh, in Mercedes-Benz, and then, you know, Notre Dame, Ohio State in the horseshoe uh, for college game day. I mean, look, what a what an opening week that's going to be. A lot of storylines here 100 days out, and when you have games like that to open the season, Ben, I would imagine it makes uh, the coming fall practice a whole lot more uh, interesting, a whole lot more exciting, knowing what's uh, on the first game running out the tunnel. Without a doubt. And I think you said it, Kevin. I mean, think about it. It's so many storylines built within this thing. You talk about... West Virginia Pitt, you got two former USC quarterbacks, you know, and JT Daines and Slovis, both of those guys trying to, you know, hey man, resurrect their uh, their college careers because this is going to be it, especially for a guy like JT Daines, for which hasn't been much to talk about since his SEC debut against Mississippi State and some flashes of what could have been had he been the starter. You talk about UNC and App State. UNC better be very nervous, man. I mean, the thing is, you do not mess with the Sun Belt. In the week one, you just leave them alone. You don't believe me? What happened when Georgia State went up there to Tennessee? With Tennessee? What happened with that? Oh, Georgia State is coming back to the crib. Like we sure appreciate y'all, and we take it. So we took your check and that W, and we got back in, and we got back in, got back on the plane, and got back to the ATL. Georgia and Oregon. Dan Lanning. Dan Lanning was laughing at Sam Pittman because when Sam Pittman left to go to Arkansas, he was like, uh-huh. "Thought you was getting away from Georgia. You thought you was getting away from Georgia too." Now. <laughs> Bo Nix versus Stetson Bennett could be a very, very intriguing matchup, even though the quarterbacks don't go up against each other. Bo Nix is a guy, obviously, this is a guy that this, this is a guy that beat Alabama his his freshman year in the in the Iron Bowl. Now times have changed since then, going through different coaches, different coordinators. Now he just won a total different team, a total di- a total different uh you know total different atmosphere. We'll see what happens with Bo Nix, Dan Lanning, and company when they meet uh, them Georgia boys in the ATL. It's probably not going to be a good day. FSU and uh, Florida State and LSU is going to be intriguing because you got a guy in Brian Kelly who's going to have to have a good impression early. You don't want to let your debut be a loss against a team and you know Coach Norvell and, and Florida State that's still really trying to find his niche in the ACC has. I mean, since Jimbo Fisher has left, I mean, with a tagger. Coach Norvell hasn't been much to go home about, and when's the last time Florida State went to a bowl game? 
it's, it's, it, that, that's going to be very intriguing, especially if Florida State comes out with the dub. Alabama versus Utah State. I mean, it's going to be lackluster. It's going to be a bore fest. It's going to get ugly, and it's going to get ugly fast. Because, I mean, if I'm Florida, I would have told Alabama, can we switch? Can y'all get Utah and we get Utah State? Because you <laughs> do got Florida, you know what I'm saying, against a Utah team, Kevin, that's very, very dangerous. I mean, uh, Mohamed Diabati, a former Florida Gator, went out there to Utah because, look, man, I'm going to just transfer to Utah. I want to go up against my old team. A shout out to uh, Mohamed uh, Diabati. I know he – um. Graduated, got his degree. So I mean, you want to be able to get both. You for those people who think that's important, the guys with the usually with the biggest contracts that aren't all pros in the NFL, usually graduated from college. It's <laughs> something about having your degree. And yeah. obviously, and obviously, Kevin, to you know, uh, to top it all off, I mean, is there a better opening than Notre Dame and Ohio State? I mean, Notre Dame is the biggest brand of college football. Sorry, people, that's just what it is. Notre Dame is the biggest brand. Oh, Ohio State is right there though. When you talk about branding and you already know, college game day. Oh, my God. Touchdown, Jesus. Oh, my God. You know, you got C.J. Stroud and company. It's going to be it's gonna be I, a good one. But I will say. Can I look, be that guy here in a second? Uh, can, can, I, can I say, is that because I know everybody, oh, every week matters. Is that a college football playoff elimination game in week I, I, one? I, I think, and I if it, it is, is. For Notre Dame especially. I'm saying so. And if it is, if Notre Dame loses, does that mean that the rest of the weeks do not matter? Probably. I'm saying, but, uh, but, uh, but again, that's what, that's what's on the line. Week one, I mean, what if, again, you go the other way. What if C.J. Stroud and company take a loss at home early season? You might be able to overcome that. But, again, Notre Dame has played well early on in the season. Obviously, you know, no Brian Kelly. Yep. They're going to have a little, you know, well, not well, too Mar- much. Mar- 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 Marcus Freeman debut, yeah. So not a, probably not a difference of coach because he was there at the end of the year, but it's still a new way of doing it. New uh, new guy running the show. Uh, this time we'll have all off season to get it done. I think there's going to be a wonderful matchup. In week one of college football, Notre Dame and Ohio State, two brands that people in the South love to not like. I'm sure there's a lot of people in SEC country go, is there a way for both of them to lose uh, in the in the opening week? But uh, what a matchup there. And as you said, uh, the one that everybody's going to be building up uh, in this state is Georgia-Oregon. Dan Lanning. I mean, there's just so many crossovers here, Ben. It's kind of funny. Like Dan Lanning goes from Georgia, now the head coach. Bo Nix played his high school football in Georgia. Transfers from Auburn to Oregon, going to come back. Uh, can this, I mean, Georgia obviously lost a lot on defense yeah. to the National Football League. And people say, well, there's that. It's still week one where you don't have a lot of game under your belt, game yeah. experience. for. I mean, I'm, and I'm not saying even for the better, but week one weird stuff happens in college football, right? Because it's the first game, you're tight, you've been hitting on your own teammate, nobody's out there trying to fool you like they are now when you come to week one. I mean, yeah, you lost Kayvon Thibodeau, but how quickly, uh, Ben, could Dan Lanning have his defense up to snuff and you look at a Georgia offense, again, with a lot of pieces back, but if you can hold Georgia to 14, 17 points, is that enough to possibly help you win a football game? Remember last year against Clemson, Georgia scored 10. Offensively, they scored three. So, uh, you know, and that was week one with all the talent that was out there. Yeah. Scored three against a good team. Is, is Oregon going to be in a position with a new head coach to come into to Georgia with a guy from Georgia, a, a good quarterback? Obviously, you don't kind of know what Dan Lanning wants to do offensively. You have to wait and see. But how tricky is that game 
up there week one for both of those teams. It, it, could, it could be tricky. It could be tricky. I mean, a lot of times people think, oh, Dan Landon recruited most of those guys to understand what those guys' strengths and weaknesses are. But playing against Georgia when you've been there is different than when you're across the field trying to compete against those guys. I mean, Wyatt and company, you already know it's going to be. I mean, Dexter Carter and those guys are going to be really, really good uh, You know, on the defensive line, Nolan Smith and company. But I think if you Dan Landing is, you take chances. Let's think about this. If I'm going up against the defending national champions in Atlanta, so you know it's going to be a sea of red and black, sure, all there. What do I have to lose, really? Like my goal is to, my goal is to be be the best team in the Pac-12, and obviously with Utah and USC, hopefully you know with guys like Caleb Williams, that's going to be even more difficult this year. But but this thing, Kevin, it, it, it's one of those, and I'm not saying that Oregon is not going to win the game. But if Oregon can make this a second half game. Right, if Oregon say, "Look, we got to stay with this team," because the thing about Georgia is this: a lot of teams last year was having some success, and then the doors, and then the doors go off. Then you know they blow the doors off. Now you are replacing a lot on that defense: Nicobe Dean, Jordan Davis, Trevon Walker, Seen, Darion Kendrick, and the list goes on and on. Right? You get, you know, you bringing a lot back, but but you make a good point, Kevin. You don't know where they're going to be on offense. I don't think the three-headed monster at Titans is going to beat everybody all year, right? I think that I think that what has happened is when you think about a team like Georgia, they've earned the respect around the country. They've earned the respect of sure. their opponents. But Dan Lanning is going, look, man, like most people, I became an assistant coach to potentially become a head coach. I want to just like it took Kirby Smart a little while to build up Georgia to be able to beat Alabama. Dan Lanning, like, I'm arrogant enough to think that I can beat them. Now, unfortunately, I call plays. <laughs> I don't run plays. Unfortunately, I'm on the sideline. But I think, Kevin, you make a good point. How much different is Georgia's season if Clemson beats Georgia in 2021? I'm not saying Georgia don't go and run the table in the SEC, right? But you have – it's one thing in running the SEC, you know, uh, running the table in the SEC knowing I got cushion when, hey, man, I already got lost. Because you know, like, I don't know, Kevin, expectations change real quick when a team like Georgia – like, obviously they're going to have an incredible season in 2022 as well. But Dan Lanning – I mean, his coaching debut against his former team, a coach that gave him an opportunity, a guy that just like uh, just like Billy Napier, I'm going to coach in the national championship before I take the head coach's job, a guy that me and BJ were sitting here when the, when the news broke, and this is like you know going into the college football playoff, that Dan Lanning was going to be uh, the AJC broker, that he was going to be the head coach of Oregon. And when I tell you Georgia people was oh, – why they going to break that? I said, you think the AJC is going to risk their credibility by break? They break stories every day. So Dan Lanning, man, hey, it's like it's like the greatest barometer because if you think about Dan Lanning, he goes, look, I want to know if and when I do find myself in the college football playoff one day what I'm really up against because if I've been listen if I've been to this infrastructure, my you know since I've been a defensive coordinator assistant. I get caught up in the hype of that's no longer you, man. You moving away from this neighborhood, <laughs> like and, and listen, and you going to a nice neighborhood in Eugene. Make no mistake about it, right? Yeah. Real nice, but you know these backwoods of Athens ain't Eugene, right? It's gonna be so. I I do think that it's a good you know it's a good test for a guy like Dan Lanning because it's one thing to become a head coach. It's another thing who you play when I become one because it's I, listen. Nick Saban is the greatest. Obviously, Kirby Smart has watched Nick Saban before he took the job at Georgia. He understood what it was. You know, I mean, Oregon's had a lot of freaking coaches. I mean, replacing a guy like Mario Cristobal, I mean, who's down there in Miami, it's going to be it's gonna be huge shoes to fill. But, hey, Dan Lady, man, welcome to the Dome. You're on the wrong side of the field. You in the, you in the, I don't know if they're going to have a visitor's locker room, whoever's going to be the home team. But you get to defend the world champions. Kevin, could Oregon potentially just shake up college football if they do indeed 
you know, beat Joe. Now that's gonna be a yeah, possibly. Possibly, but I mean, I, 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 I'm more like you. You're going to Oregon, changing uh, the way you're doing things, things of that nature against the defending national champion, who who put more players in the National Football League than any other school in one draft has. Yeah. So they lost a lot of talent, yeah. but they still have a system that's been run for multiple years there yeah. under Kirby Smart. I, I think there's such an advantage to that that again, if you're Dan Landing for a lot of these kids. Hey, new way of doing things, new track. This is the first time we've done it under the lights, right? We did spring ball. You have fall practice. All right, but now we're in Atlanta. 80,000, as you said, 90% of whom have red on. And we got to figure out what we're doing. <laughs> how confident are you? I'm saying, how confident are you, your guys, to understand the schemes yeah. and the calls that you're doing yeah. and do it against a team that has college football playoff and national championship? Uh, aspirations attached to it, like the Georgia Bulldogs. That is a tough, tough test. I think it's a good test for Kirby. It is, it is. Uh, as well. You know, I think it's a game they feel they can win, obviously. And, you know, after that, your schedule gets a lot easier uh, with with, with the way things go in the non-conference. So, look, I I, I think that's probably going to be one of the more underrated games of the first week. But, man, Bo Nix going – up against and, George, and, 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 and that that's helps, a good right? story. Like, yeah. like, that helps too, right? Like because if I if I'm not mistaken, I think Bo Nix decided to go to Oregon before he knew who the head coach. So I think Bo Nix decided to transfer before he knew that Dan Landon was going to be. But that 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 does add to a Bo Nix first. Um, I want to say his first game. Wait a minute. But was Bo Nix's first game in college against Oregon? Was was it Auburn, Oregon? I think I, I, I'm gonna have to go back and check, but that does help, right? Having a guy that's coming from an SEC powerhouse like a like a Auburn does help. N- you know, new new you know a new environment, new teammates. But Kevin, like I said, this is the thing about college football that we don't want to say. As long as things go to plan, nobody panics. As long as Georgia wins and Alabama wins, but you make a good point about Notre Dame. You know how I know Notre Dame got to win. Notre Dame lost to Cincinnati last year. Did they make the college football player? No, and they lost to Cincinnati, who did make it. So I, it used to be a time to where Kevin lives. You lose a game, if you're not a usual suspect in the college football playoff, you don't get that benefit of the doubt. Now, Ohio State, they're going to make excuses for them now. If they don't win, it's going to be, well, you know, they're going to make excuses for them. Florida has Utah. You're going to learn a lot about Billy. See, Billy Napier, he can do no wrong because he's undefeated <laughs> in his, and, you know, on his You're undefeated until you're not. Yeah, uh, yeah so we'll, we'll see what happens, but a great, great week one. College football, man, the countdown is on. Looking forward to that uh, coming up in the uh, first part of September. We'll come back, switch gears, talk a little Falcons football. With a, who's that? 912-342-7184. You can join us. Do you know who the starting defensive line is? Because we do. We knew we had to look it up, but we do. We'll get to that next. It's three and out. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio, streaming live at ESPNCoastal.com. Good to have you back here on three and out. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, glad you are with us. We'll hear from Rich Stiles coming up in hour number two. Teron Davenport, we'll talk some NFL with him. And also Ken Segura, AJC.com will join us. We'll talk some uh, Georgia Tech football. They get a big transfer from Clemson coming in there at quarterback. So he'll join us coming up in the final hour of the program. Ben, the Falcons, we told everybody, hey, you got to calm down about, uh, you know, what's happening there at quarterback uh, for Atlanta. It's still early. And then we looked across the, the way and said, what about this D-line? You know, you got Arnold Ibaquite, Grady Jarrett. And I got intrigued. I said, well, what about the rest of the Falcons D-line? Now, I know, Ben, you've been looking it up. Who, who, besides those two, one of whom just got drafted, one of whom obviously just got re-upped and is the most 
recognizable piece on that defensive front in Grady Jarrett. Who are the rest of the guys? Okay. People, I want y'all to just... <laughs> I'll just say, like, but, but, but again, you say, hey, we're, we're looking at a Falcons team that's deficient up front. They need to get after the quarterback. We look at the depth chart, and I'm going, I, I don't even remember some of these guys. John Kaminsky. What? Yeah, that's what I said. Mm-hmm. To Quan Graham, who mm-hmm. then you and I looked it up. Between the two of them, that's that would be a couple of your right now starting defensive linemen have what a combined uh, uh, less uh, than uh, three sacks we, in, in their we, NFL are we, career. Are we, are we about to show y'all with these when we when we get to going through these stats? You're gonna see why you should be very, very, very worried. Okay, like at, what happens with this Falcons team this year? You know. People ask, man, why does it matter if you got money to work with? Well, man, you got to have something. You got to have something to work with. So, uh, Taquan Graham, right? Fifth round pick in 2021. He has 15 tackles. He doesn't have any sacks. All right? So, by the time I get to the quarterback. So, right now, Taquan Graham, been a year in the league. Now, now mind you, he's a D tackle. He has zero sacks. <laughs> Okay. I mean, yeah, that's not overwhelming. What you said, Kevin, about when we talked about why you outside of Kyle Pitts of 2021, that rookie class didn't give you much, 15 tackles, right? Now, mind you, had 17 games. That's not even a tackle a game, for those of you who don't know. 15 is less than 17. You know what I'm saying? You know, <laughs> Today's 30, math lesson brought to you by Ben 13 minus 50. 40. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Now, we mentioned John Kaminsky, right? This is John, John Kaminsky got drafted. This will be his fifth year, right? Got drafted in 2018, right? 2018. For those of you who are keeping up, this is his fifth year now. He has one and a half sacks. So going into his fifth year, he has one. So right now, between Taquan and John, you have one and a half, one and a half sacks. Right? Two for the career. Sacks, for the career. Now, Marlon Davidson, right? Marlon Davidson got drafted in 2020. I really thought he'd be better out of all. Marlon Davidson got drafted in 2020. Second round pick, by the way. Still. And that's when it's in the draft. He has one sack. Now, between three people, just keep it up there, Marlon, Taquan, and John, right? Two and a half sacks. Two and a half sacks from three people. Now, you talk about Grady Jared. Now, 26 and a half sacks. So you so he he's been he's been very productive. I know, I know that guys like, you know, Aaron Donald, of sure. the world, Fletcher Cox got people thinking, oh, he needs 10. No, that, that that's a pretty good season. Lorenzo Carter. He's going outside linebacker, 14 and a half sacks, right? Slated to start, though. It's on Ebikiti, as, as you mentioned, Kevin. He's a rookie. Now, between a rookie, Taquan, John, <laughs> and Marlon, because I'm not even going to count Grady for a second. So between John, Marlon, Arnold, mm. and Taquan, two and a half sacks. Now, Arnold is a rookie. Kevin, it goes back to what you said about Marlon Davidson. Marlon Davidson going to get three, one sack. This is the thing. It's hard to get production on a bad D-line. I'm going to say it again. It is hard to get consistent production. Four people. Four. John Kaminsky, Marlon Davidson, on Ebikiti, which, you know, it's really three because he's a rookie, and right. Jaquan Graham. So guys has been on the team, two and a half sacks. People ask, hey, man, maybe they could just turn it on. Tell y'all something. Lorenzo Carter. Going into his fifth year. Second round pick 
in 2018 out of Georgia to the Giants. 14 and a half career sacks. He went, I think it went like three, three and a half, four and a half, one, four and a half. Now, it's going to be a long year because there isn't, quote, an alpha dog on the D-line right now, at least for right now from stats. Right. But I think what happens is when you start talking about the draft picks, they're going to have more of a 3-4 so they get more linebackers on the field because Arnold Ebikiti and Lorenzo Carter are going to be outside linebackers, a.k.a. pass rushers, a.k.a. run stoppers. When you get more pass rushes on the field, I mean, I can drop guys back in the coverage. I can have guys stop the run. They can set the edge, so on and so forth. Lorenzo Carter has 14 and a half sacks. Now, you got to put in the context. That's in five years. I'm not or saying four, he's not. Four years, right? I'm yeah. sorry, four years. This will be, yeah, I'm not, yeah, this will be his fifth. I'm not saying he can't have a breakout season. This is more on the fact that the Falcons had no money. So when you don't have money, you have to get guys to have, you know, listen, they want to play. You give them a one-year deal, it's a prove-it deal. Lorenzo Carter on a prove-it deal. Marla Davis is going into year three. He has one sack. John Comiskey is going into year five. He has one and a half sacks. Taquan Graham has been in the league one year. He has zero sacks. <laughs> and obviously you got Grady Jarrett with 26 and a half. They're going to have to work together because Kevin, people go, well, Ben, why didn't they get, uh, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau? He went five. So, <laughs> yeah, he, I mean, was all, so he was already gone. Yeah. Why did they get, you know, uh, Jermaine Johnson? He was there. I think what happens when you talk about the Falcons, right? Let, let, you know, the Falcons have never really focused on pass rush, right? Because what happens is, Kevin, they're, up, they're known. Every team is known for something. The Falcons are known for offense, 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 right? I get it. But you're going to have to stop somebody. Grady Jarrett is Jesse Tuckle's kid. That's just crazy every time I even freaking think about it. But, Kevin, now can we find a diamond in the rough with this between Lorenzo Carter, John Kaminsky, Grady Jarrett, Marlon Davidson, Arna Ebikiti, Taekwon Graham? You better. You better. Because, Kevin, the same thing we're saying, oh, man, not a lot of production on paper will become that I told you so during the year. Problem is, was it the, is it the Falcons that don't get a uh, that don't get a bye week till like week fourteen or something yep, like that? Yep. So the seat, listen. By the time they get a bye week, you could be counting healthy bodies. You're gonna have to. Marlon Davis is gonna have to step up because he backs up Grady Jarrett. Taquan Graham is gonna have to become more of a pass rusher, even though he seems to be like a run stuffing defensive tackle. John Kaminsky, I think he is what he is. Lorenzo Carter got a shot to go out there, you know, and uh, be that guy coming off the edge. I don't know what Arnold Ebikiti is, and Grady Jarrett is Grady Jarrett. I mean, you got to take the good with the bad. We don't come out in the wash. Definitely going to come out in the rinse. We're going to see what happens, <laughs> people. But for me, Kevin. I mean, we started running down. like, man, you, you just look at you like a, a lot of guys you haven't heard of, and you said the production by and large hasn't been there outside of Grady Jarrett. You hope your draft pick uh, comes through in a big way. But, yeah, I, I was like, we were talking like we were talking about this Falcons defense, and I know you've talked a lot about the linebackers and, hey, they got to get more production. But you look at the guys in front of them, you're going – Wow, yeah. like that, like I didn't. I, I knew there was a lot of guys that I heard of, but I didn't realize they were that thin on the in terms of just playmaking ability up front. We got more to come here on this Tuesday. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Sometimes, Ben, bad things happen to to good people, right? I mean that that that, that that's things that happen. And a lot of you out there in in the listening area, you know, Braves country, remember Kelsey Winger? She used to you know do the uh, the the on field reporting for the Atlanta Braves. She has since. Moved on and uh, you know gone into work with the, the the Colorado Rockies, 
Okay, and if you remember when she was with the Braves, she took a foul ball to the face and broke her orbital bone around her eye. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it was out for a long time and painful thing. You say, man, that's one of those once in a, in a, in a thing, kind of once in a lifetime events that just, you know, wrong place. You happen to be in the path of the ball and it got you. Well, last night it happened again. Bing. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't trying to go down let, that let, road. Let me, just say, let me just say this. But listen. she got hit again let, with let, another let, foul let, ball. It's like, what are the okay. odds? Like, look, look. This is the thing, right? I was going to say speedy to... recovery and then bing. Yeah, 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 <laughs> it's, it's almost like this. Most of the time when it comes to a foul ball, right? They don't even show where it Remember, it used to be, uh, maybe it's something they do with programming. It used to be a time they'll show where it goes. Now they don't even show it. Because that ball be coming <laughs> yeah. fast. If... Well, it's just one of those things that strikes me as I like, you know, and you don't you don't want to chuckle at other people's misfortune, but she, she's a, a great, but like, it's like people who's like, I got struck by lightning and then I got struck again. I was like, you know, it's, it's like one of those things like, it is so unlikely to happen. Like, how does it happen again? Yeah. Like, you, I you mean, see, I, I mean, I, I, okay. Now, if you are a sideline reporter in football, things happen real quickly. Like you'll have thing, you know, somebody's run up because your back is obviously to the field. You would think that your cameraman would try to pull you or do something. So don't getting hit with a with a football, those type of things happen. Or a play spills over on the sideline real close to you, you may get taken out, right? A baseball, number one, is so like when somebody goes or moves to another spot, well, you don't really know where a foul ball is. Yeah. Like, you know, it kind of does what it wants. But the thing about a foul ball, as quick as it comes out of the pitcher's hands, that's how fast it gets. It's faster. Like, wham. Yeah. If <laughs> I heard and, and Kevin, we saw something where she's supposed to be getting married or something. Yeah, so yeah. When her obviously, she had to tell her fiance. Does he go? Did not. <laughs> no, did I tell say, you? Or, no, or, you don't say or, that. or do you go? Or do you go? Do if you, you go, want a divorce? Like, yeah, or, or do you go? <laughs> no, no, it's, no, no. It's one of those things you wear. Like, okay, you know. Obviously, in the in the in the in the uh, cell phone world we live in now of instant. Information. Did she did she text it to him or did she say, "Babe, what? You you're not going to believe this." And did the person next to her go, or, or does the paramedic or whomever <laughs> go, "Is this so and so?" Yes, sir. Uh, your fiance here. I mean, she got it she happened got again. By, she got struck by you know a baseball today. What you mean, like for <laughs> real? Yeah. Yeah. Is she all right? Yeah, she's all right, man. But when it first happened, it, it's, it's like, Kevin, what does that do to a – because that's so rare, right? What does it do yeah. to a person's psyche? I don't know. Now, I, now the person getting struck by lightning, may God bless you. Cause every I'm time saying, I, like, that's one of those where you don't want to chuckle at somebody, but you're like, it's so unlikely to happen. It's like, and then I got struck by lightning again. I don't want to laugh. It's like, that's like, how, like, how does that even happen? Most people won't get struck by lightning one time. How's that? But again, to get hit by a foul ball a second time, I know you're downfield level and all that, but like, it just seems so highly unlikely that the same person is going to get hit again. That is like, yeah, yeah but she's going to be okay. I, again, a, a great, by all accounts, like, you know, follow her social media is a great, great person. I feel bad. I feel bad. It's like, how does that happen a, a second time? I say that so uh, rest up, recover. We wish her nothing but the best. But I saw that story and I was like, it's like all I could picture was 
her going on the phone with one of her friends or her parents, like, it happened again. <laughs> it's like, and, and, and like I, how? And obviously, some, some, somebody <laughs> going to be like, so is the wedding still? Yeah, it's still, okay. it's still on. We'll come back. Take three next here on Three and Out. Good to have you back here, Three and Out, on this Tuesday. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, a lot to get to this hour. Rich Stiles, host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show, will join us. We're talking PGA Championship. Phil who's about to have a tell-all book released about him. We'll, uh, we'll talk to uh, talk to Rich about that. Also, Teron Davenport, ESPN Nation, covers the Titans. Talk Malik Willis, Traylon Burke, some of the new faces coming into the league there. And wonder if uh, Malik Willis will have as much hype after throwing against air as Desmond Ritter did in uh, Atlanta, Ben. We'll get to that uh, coming up in just a little bit as well. But first, let's take three on this Tuesday here on 3 and Out. All right, Ben, take one. PGA Championship, as I mentioned, is this week the next major on the schedule. Tiger, Jordan Spieth, mm. Rory McIlroy mm. all together for the first two days. Can you name a better pairing for a major than that? A better pairing for a major? Yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe if mm, maybe if it was, you know, Brooks Koepka, uh <laughs> Uh, what, DeChambeau? <laughs> yeah, that would be good. Yeah, have them <laughs> hey, man, listen, unfortunately, I mean, it feels like if they was all together, because it'd be like, it's number one, Bryce, I mean, number one, Brooks Kepka, like, what did I do to this? What did I do to deserve this? But I will say this. Uh, you know, salute and respect to the PGA Tour. Right? When you think about Kevin... You got three guys that were, that are forever linked to it. Like when it come to when it come to football, we always talking about oh, you know Andrew Luck, RG three, and you know uh, Marcus Mariota, Jameis Winston. Guys are linked together. Well, if you think about it, Rory was supposed to replace Tiger. He had some moments, right? He had some moments. Then something about Rory in that dreaded final round, definitely in Augusta. Then you talking about a guy in Jordan Spieth, right? They say he got one of the best short games you ever seen. Has won a major as of you know as of as of, you know uh, recently, Kevin. But I think it's just great for golf. Tiger Woods understands anytime he decides to play, it's going to be must see TV. And the PJ Tour, well, let's just let's just pair Rory and Joe. So I I don't know if it's a better pair because Kevin, anything else is more controversial pairing than actual you know good pairing. So I would say this is about as good as you can get. Now Phil Mickelson wasn't going through his craziness. It would have been Jordan Phil and obviously Rory. Or Jordan Field and, and Jordan, Jordan Spieth. But I would say, you man, Jordan Spieth, you know, Rory McIlroy and freaking Tiger Woods. I mean, come on, man. That's even pretty good. If, even, even, even if you're, once again, certain people you watch them regardless of the sport they play, and other guys you watch them because you love the sport they play, I think because of these three, you're watching them because of who they are and instead of just what they're actually doing. Yeah, absolutely. I, that's why I do think uh, the Kepka, DeChambeau, and anybody else, just throw anybody. I, literally anybody else would be a great Appearing and good on good on the you know golf. It, it, Thursday and Friday is all about setting up the weekend. It doesn't matter who you're playing with, really. I know they used to do they do random draws and all that. It's like, hey, we're gonna pull names out of a hat to come up with the pairings. Like, no, just like make these groups more often. Give us good good content early in the in the week. Why not? And uh, yeah, Tiger, Jordan Spieth, and Rory all gonna be playing together on Thursday and Friday for the PGA Championship. All right, moving along. Take two, Ben. Do you believe Desmond Ritter will start for the Falcons in 2022? And if so, when? I mean, you could say I, no. I, I mean, I, 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 now my hope is no, but this is the thing about Marcus Mariota. 
Marcus Mariota is susceptible to getting hurt because he's a dual threat quarterback, just like a Desmond Ritter. I think he will start at a certain point, Kevin, because it's not so much that Marcus Mariota is making so much money that he has to play week in and week out. I do hope it is more around week 12 because he's going to start for two reasons. One or three. Marcus Mariota isn't playing well, and they just put him in there. Unfortunately, Marcus Mariota has gotten hurt, and they put him in there. Or the season is just, you know, that's it. Like, you're not in, the, you're not in playoff contention, and we just want to play him to, quote, see what we got for the, you know, for the future. So I do I do see him starting at a certain point, Kevin. And I will say this. Maybe it's week, hopefully, hopefully, it's week 15 because they, they get a bye week, week 14. And if the, let's face it, people. Season probably gonna be gone, done. So you think week fifteen he's out there? Yeah, I mean, because if because uh, I would say this, Kevin, this is the thing, right? Now, if the season is over, I mean they're not gonna go to the playoffs, right? You got what? Uh, 15, 16, 17, 18. You got you you know you got four games left in the season, right? Why not? Well, you really got five. It's week fourteen because yeah, you got five games left in the season for the Falcons. Why not put him in if if the season is done? Right, because I think what happens is Kevin. The one thing about the one thing about you know uh, reloading or you know rebuilding, I want to know what I got as far as like in the you know I want to know what type of building blocks I have because if Atlanta is indeed going to try to be in this quarterback sweepstakes in twenty twenty three, I want to make sure that Desmond Ritter, if he is the guy to be a patchwork player, until if, if they are, I want to know what I have. I really, really want to know what I have. So I would say week 15 would be a time to say I would think a guy like Desmond Ritter would potentially get in there, Kevin, because I think by that time, look, it's the fourth quarter of the season, even though you got five games left. Now, if the if the Falcons are in contention, well, that's different, which unless I'm just out that, of my that's, league that's, in this that's thing. That's miracle. <laughs> you know, but I, I just – for me, week 15, because it gives him five games just to go out there and show what he has. Uh, look, I, I – I asked a couple of people around this. Why I brought it up today because you know I said who realistically believes that Desmond Ritter is going to start when they you know they gave Mariota a two year deal and you know I was talking to folks where she was like oh he's definitely getting out there. I was like really you think so? He's like oh at some point it's going to get bad. I'm like well no everybody already thinks it's going to be bad right? I mean everybody thinks like this season is rebuild. Uh, I think you have Marcus Mariota to hopefully make it not as bad uh, out there. I, I Ben I'm going to say he doesn't get out there unless Mariota is hurt. So. I'm going to say, I mean, obviously you can't gauge injury. So I'm going to say he does not start. He does not no, start no, for no, the Falcons no, me, in 2021. Right, I will say this. Even if you're on a bad team, and I was on, quote, a bad team my first two years in the NFL, and we had freaking uh, Steve McNair, which showed you how young we were. I think what happens is this. If I'm on a bad team, but I'm still, I'm still on schedule. Because the thing about a rebuild is I want to be on schedule in a rebuild. So we're going through a rebuild. I mean, we got a bunch of guys that says got to stay the course. We've honored guys like Grady Jerry by giving him a contract sure. extension. So we, we're rewarding guys. And I think Matthews, I think, got a contract extension as well. But you re-sign Cordell, right? If if Marcus Mariota goes the whole season and he's and he's uh, and he's healthy, and the season might not be there, that means one, my offensive line is playing better because we kept our starter upright. That's that gives you hope for the future with who when Desmond Ritter does get in. And two, Kevin, it shows that bad teams that don't throw in the towel because you're just gonna what's gonna what's gonna hurt the Falcons is you just don't got the talent that other teams have, and you got too many guys that's young at key positions like receiver, like D line as we talked about you know a segment ago. But if Marcus Mariota goes the whole season, Desmond Ritter only come in for when the games. 
when the games are out and they just let him come in and get some work, I think that's a great year for a Terry Fonda and Arthur Smith because I do think Arthur, I do think Arthur Blank is banking on what they can do with the money and the draft picks in 2023. Yeah, to me, I if you're like four and nine at the at the bye, right, going into week 14, I, I think to me I'm still playing Marcus Mariota because maybe down the stretch you could get five six wins, right? I I, I think you're holding out that hope. Uh, I'm I'm not again. This is just me unless. Unless he gets hurt, I say Desmond Ritter's not starting a game. I could be wrong. What, what, I didn't, what, 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 I, no, I didn't think that Blaine Gabbert was going to start what, what, a game for Jacksonville. He was out there week but three. Think, so but I mean, think about what you're doing. It, it's not hard to put yourself in the, in the seat of Arthur Smith or the Terry Fonda. Terry Fonda has picked the players. I get that part. If you're Arthur Smith, you're saying to yourself, hey, man, the good thing about Marcus Mariota, he knows what it is. He ain't Ryan Tannehill. I ain't finna be, <laughs> I ain't finna be mentoring nobody. <clears throat> it's like you said. I'm not here to mentor anybody. If we won yeah. four games – which means, unfortunately, four games can have you picking five or six in this NFL because, you know, and, you know, you want to see what you have. Because if Desmond Ritter get in there and stink up the joint, even though the season's over, you think, dude, we better do something. Do we got to move around in the first round? Because it's all it's going to be about the quarterback in 2023, but hopefully he doesn't have to play. All right, moving along, take three. Drew Brees hinted that, hey, maybe I'll come back and play play football. So, Ben, take three. Which old man – Quarterback, would you like to come back and play for your team? It can't be prime. So, obviously, I said old man quarterback. So, it can't be like this is peak MVP level stuff. Which old man quarterback would you like to come back and quarterback your team? Eli, Peyton, or Drew Brees? And they're old old, <laughs> old men by Def- NFL standards. De- de- definitely not Peyton because I think <laughs> he, he, he just ain't got it. I would go Drew Brees, and this is why. Drew Brees, right, had a great experience his time in New Orleans, and he understands how to play with anybody. Now, I'm not saying he played with anybody. He may have Marcus Colston, and he had some great players, you know, uh, Jeremy Shockey and, you know, Daniel, I mean, uh, you know, Jimmy Graham. But I will say this, Kevin, he wants to do it. See, Eli would only come out because of the money, and he don't need it. None of them need it, by the way. Sure. But Drew Brees said, look, man, just looking at the current crop, I would go with Drew Brees. Because, number one, Kevin, Drew Brees don't get hurt a lot. He going to lick his fingers 178 times during the game. I get that part. <laughs> but he said he wanted to do it. Like, I think it's always better to go get an old vet when he wants to come back. That means he's keeping himself in shape. That means he's at some local high school throwing with the local kids, uh, high school kids, or at some college throwing with the guys, you know, in the offseason. So I would go with Drew Brees because I think what it – I'm thinking about three things. One, veteran leadership. Two, what he can do for my quarterback room. And three, what he can do for my team. Right? I don't think we – nobody's going to the Super Bowl with Drew Brees. And I want him to have – I'm going to the Super Bowl mentality. Drew Brees went to a whopping one Super Bowl. So, I mean, it ain't like he got that. But what he can do for a quarterback room as far as, like, what you learned from him. What he can do for a team as far as, like, learning how to prepare. And look, man, and, uh, you know, and uh, potentially what he can do as far as, like, veteran leadership. I, I think all, all three of those things is worth – and plus, it's only on a one-year deal. I ain't going to be no, hey, man, we'll talk about it. Ain't no, ain't no extensions, Drew. No, you've got your last extension, you know, in the National Football League. <laughs> but, hey, man, for those people who, who think the booth ain't for everybody, Drew Brees spent one week in the booth, one year in the booth. <laughs> he wants to come back. And uh, obviously the GOAT spent two months with his kids and got the hell back to work. He said, so I've got to get back out there. <laughs> you, listen, when I when I would pick D-Lyman chasing me over chilling, <laughs> hey, man, they got to love what they're doing. Uh, look, I, I – I, I like the Drew Brees pick. I would go with Eli Manning. Why not? He always is like, he'll make you pull your hair out, but 
Right? He's always going to give you a shot. Yeah, but you, but see, always going to give you a see, shot. Gavin, you looking at, listen, you looking at, you looking at the two playoff runs with Eli. It's a lot of eh in between that. It's a lot. I mean, he's like, like 47 years old. It oh, could be a lot what, of eh hey, out there now. What Peyton was in the regular season, Eli was not. <laughs> right? So I would say this, Kevin. Listen, we've done enough hair pulling out, you know what I'm saying, with certain yeah. fan bases. Give him Drew Brees because at least Drew Brees give you that fake perception of, hey, man, we're going to be good. Nope. Because if a man in his mid-40s is going to be your savior, it's going to be a long season, people. Long. <laughs> That's take three. We do it each and every day this time. We'll come back. We'll talk some golf. PGA Championship this week. Rich Stiles will join us later this hour. Teron Davenport going to talk some NFL with us here on 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here on 3 and Out on this Tuesday. Kevin and Ben, thanks for making us a part of your day. The PGA Championship coming up this week. Next is uh, the second major up here on the schedule. And joining us here to talk about that uh, and more from the Back Nine Boys Golf Show, which you can catch Saturday and Sunday mornings at uh, 8 a.m. Rich Stiles joining us here on 3 and Out. Rich, how are you? I'm doing great, guys. Hope you guys are. We are doing fantastic. And Rich... What a difference a year makes, right? Last year at this time, everybody was saying, Phil Mickelson won a major at his age. Can't believe it. Now, Phil Mickelson had to remove himself from the Masters, is not playing this week uh, at the PGA Championship. Apparently, a tell-all book coming out. I mean, what a difference a calendar year can make for a guy like Phil Mickelson. Well, you know, last year, as you just said, he won a major. Now he is a major topic among uh, sports casts, golf shows, people that follow golf, people that don't even follow golf are wondering what the heck is going on with Phil? Where is he? Is he ever going to come back? And uh, I think he's still in hiding. Obviously, he's not to defend his title on the uh, at the PGA Championship. Um, but, you know, who can blame him? He just doesn't want to go through the media attention uh, with his gambling losses uh, allegedly, I know it's not been true yet, but the book is coming out. There's a lot in that book that uh, Phil is probably and his team are not going to like. And Rich, you, I mean, even uh, even uh, sticking with that, when you talk about the book, I mean, you talk about a guy in Phil who, I mean, he was a star before the social media world, and now he's continued to be one. But with this tell-all book coming out, as you mentioned, how much how, how, how much more of a delay could this potentially add to a guy in field who, let's face it, he needs all the positive press he can get at this point? Well, let's just put it this way. If the nail's halfway in, this will complete putting the nail all the way in. Um, I mean, I think there's going to be things in there that, that we as the general public would, would say, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that about Phil. But, you know, he's, he's had gambling issues in the past. Uh, he did that in the beginning of his career when he finally signed with uh, Callaway. Uh, and it was a battle between Titleist and Callaway as far as who he would go with. Callaway decided to put all the money, $36 million, up front, which is why Phil took that deal with Callaway. Uh, but Phil's, you know, gone back and forth. He promised his kids he wouldn't gamble anymore, but obviously he's back at it. Um, and then we heard this week that Gary McCork, former CBS broadcaster, uh, also used to bet with Phil. Um, uh, on holes as he would come up to the hole the McCord was uh, uh, working at, uh, they would give a nod uh, from Bones' his caddy, either yes or no, and he would hold up fingers about what the bet was. I mean, there's just a lot of things that are going to come out that are not going to make Phil very popular. I was going to say, if that's true, uh, uh, Rich, I, I mean, obviously you know how gambling goes over in other sports. How would the PGA Tour feel about a play? Obviously you control your own outcomes, uh, so to speak, but I mean, how would the PGA Tour feel about obviously a broadcaster and an active golfer 
betting on holes in a championship. Well, you know, right now McCord is not uh, announcing anywhere, so there's not much they can do about that. Um, I don't know what the rules are from the PGA Tour on gambling on yourself during a tournament, uh, but, um, you know, Phil is already not playing. Uh, we still don't know if he's been suspended or just kind of waiting it out on his own. Uh, we still haven't heard any word that he's talked to uh, PGA Commissioner Jay Monahan. Uh, so, you know, Phil is out there. I'm sure they won't look on this as being very favorable. Again, this is another excerpt from this uh, book uh, by uh, Alan Shipnick that will come out. Um, as I said, I think there's more that's going to come out about Phil uh, that some of us will be surprised at. Probably the guys on the PGA Tour will not be as surprised as we are as the general public. And. <laughs> You know, and Richard, when a guy like Phil that's meant so much to the game of golf, I mean, when you talk about a bunch of – I mean, I know most golfers would attribute their – you know, they're wanting to play golf to a guy like Tiger Woods, but I'm pretty sure Phil has a lot to do with a lot of these golfers on tour now. I mean, you hate to say it, but could this potentially be the last we see of Phil depending on if he doesn't win or if he does find a way to make a comeback? I'm not sure it'll be the last that we'll see of Phil. I think it may be a little while. Uh, still unknown whether he's uh, going to be playing in the in, in the Saudi golf tour that's coming up in uh, in, in June. Um, I know he's registered for it, as are a couple of other PGA guys. However, uh, Jay Monahan, the PGA commissioner, has denied all of their requests to play. If they play... Who knows what will happen? I did talk to a, an, an unknown PGA guy um, on tour, and he thought that there might be some lawsuits uh, because PGA Tour players are uh, independent contractors, and the PGA Tour, uh, you know, in an, uh, who knows how what stand up they've already taken, is that legal for them to do that? Um, working with independent contractors, that'll be the big question. And again, I saw what was it? Uh, Jack Nicholas came out and said he turned down some kind of ridiculous amount of money to to go over and be a part of the not playing, obviously, but be a part of the the Saudi tour. Yeah, I mean that came out also. So the Saudis, the money is not the issue. I mean they're just trying to get some kind of validity and some kind of credibility uh, that I think Greg Norman is missing uh, because he's had a beef with the PGA Tour for years. Uh, but I think the the Saudis you know, are just throwing money out there just to see what they can they can find and who will take it. Uh, you know, they'll probably start paying appearance fees for guys to come out that will be exorbitant. Uh, but with their tour, the coming out with these 10 tournaments with a $4 million first-place prize, that's going to attract some guys. Um, and at that point, uh, they're just going after the money. Uh, they can worry about what happens on the PGA Tour later, but with only 40 players and that kind of prize money, um, I mean, it's going to be it's going to be kind of interesting. And I know you also heard that you know Sergio. Uh, now I think he, because of what his statements were, I can't wait to leave this tour. Um, you know, he's kind of a Spanish version of Patrick Reed. And Rich, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, you got the PGA Championship of Southern Hills coming up. I mean, you got guys like Rory, you got Rory, you got Jordan Spieth, you got Tiger Woods paired up in the same group. How great is that for golf, and how much do golf want every time they have, like, a field-type side, and they're saying, look, man, we appreciate this pairing. And <laughs> how good of how great of a pairing is guys like Jordan and Rory to be paired with a guy who essentially they were supposed to replace? Uh, I, I think, you know, they don't really care who they're paired with, to be honest. 
they're out there playing their own game on the course. They're just trying to beat the course. They're not trying to beat the guy next to him. They're trying to beat the field. And they're trying to, you know, play their game, uh, their game plan based on what their coach and their team and their caddy are talking about. I really don't think they care who their opponents are. I think they have preferences, but I don't think they care. They're out there trying their darndest to win a golf tournament. And I think that's their main objective. But Rich, if you're if you're the PGA Tour and uh, and and putting on, I mean, you, why wouldn't you make pairings like this more often, especially for the Friday Saturdays to get these guys together? Well, I think you you know one um, we all saw what happened many years ago in the Ryder Cup when uh, they they put Tiger and Phil together it it didn't gel um, now in a regular uh, you know major tournament or a PGA tournament uh, I just really don't think that they want the the media to go through that during the press conferences uh, you know because that's all they're going to focus on they want to talk about the tournament the major the sponsors the prize money their game plan, not talk about the, the Twitter effect or the Facebook or the TikTok or the social media aspects of it. They want to focus on the tournament and the major. They really would shy away from, I think, you know, trying to get all the media attention about how do you feel about playing with Phil? Well, how do you feel about playing with Tiger? You know, how would you feel about playing with Bugs Bunny? I mean, you know. <laughs> and, Rich, I mean, you know, what – where, where, where is golf right now, your estimation? I see it as being as you know very, very popular as it's been. I mean, I know you don't want to have no negative publicity. You, it's too many golfers to try to, you know, police every last one of them. But where do you think the game of golf is as far as, like, popularity? I think golf is, is popular. I think that, you know, when Tiger plays, it's obviously more popular, to be quite honest. Um, you know, people love seeing, you know, new guys win. Uh, but when Tiger plays, it's more popular. Uh, TV ratings, uh, you know, on the weekends, uh, depending upon what else is on, uh, unless it's the Masters, uh, you know, there's not a lot of viewers. If you like golf, you will watch a golf tournament. If you don't like golf, you're not going to go there for any reason. Um, and if you look at the highlights, all you're going to see are Tiger, you know, he bogeyed here, he birdied here, oh, his swing looks good here. So, I think some of the guys on the PGA Tour might feel like neglected, so to speak, because all it is is when Tiger plays, it's Tiger TV. Rich Stiles, host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show, our guest here on 3 and Out. Rich, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. All right, guys. Oh, hold on. i got to go talk to Phil. Talk to you later. <laughs> Rich Stiles joining us here on 3 and Out. Again, that Phil saga is amazing. And I had forgotten, Ben, because of all of the other drama that we've seen over the course of this past year, that Phil actually won the PGA Championship a year ago, and he was the talk of the golf world of, hey, at his age, he's he's doing it. He wasn't just there on Saturday. He was there on Sunday, and he was closing. He was finishing uh, and winning a major, and a year later, he is backing out of tournaments. He's not defending the title. He's about to have, as you heard Rich say, maybe some pretty damning stuff come out in a tell-all book here pretty soon, and you have gone kind of persona non grata in the course of a year uh, out there on the PGA Tour from beloved kind of a nice story to winning a major at his age to he may not play again. The PR the PR damage uh, damage control team for Phil Mickels is going to earn every dollar they can, Kevin, because even if you were trying to figure out a strategy of how to return back to golf, this tell-all book, this is going to open about as big as can of worms as you're going <laughs> to see because – Obviously, you know, the, the juicier the juicier the scandal, the more people are going to get it. It's Phil Mickelson. Hey, whoever wrote, wrote in the book, 
You couldn't have picked a better time for you. You couldn't have picked a worse time for you are a, quote, Phil Mickelson or on the Phil Mickelson team. <laughs> We've got more to come here on 3 and Out. We'll chat with Teron Davenport, ESPN Nation, NFL covers the Titans. We'll talk some NFL football with him next here on 3 and Out. Good to have you back here on 3 and Out. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, thanks for making us a part of your day. NFL rookie minicamps uh, going on. Of course, we talked a little bit about uh, Desmond Ritter and all the the comps to Russell Wilson he's already getting uh, going through <laughs> the rookie mini camps and uh, certainly we like to overreact uh, good and bad either way based on these rookie mini camps our next guest right there uh, with Traylon Burks man we talked about that video that came out uh, yesterday Malik Willis obviously a lot of folks going to be following him and Jordan is here to talk about that and more from ESPN Nation covers the NFL and the Tennessee Titans Teron Davenport joins us Teron welcome to the show how are you hey how's it going hey we're doing fantastic. How are things there at uh, Titans minicamp where you have certainly Malik Willis going to be one of the more watched rookies uh, around the league, given a lot of people thought he was the best quarterback uh, that was potentially in the draft, and he ends up not going until, what, the, the third round? Yeah, the third round it was. It's pretty surprising that he lasted that long. But as far as how things went for him in rookie minicamp, they seem to go well. He showed that he's able to, you know, throw the ball with some zip and, fitting into tight spaces. He did get picked off once, but the main thing for him was just being able to, to show that he could get in and out of the huddle and actually take the snap from under center because that's not something that he did much at Liberty. And Teron, put it into context when it comes to this situation with the trailing Burks. I mean, I understand a lot of times people see, oh, yeah, man, people get tired of practice. That Nashville heat is rough. I'm coming from a guy that, thank God, they did not have social media when I was there in 2004. I mean, people would have been like, you know, talk, put put it in the context what people are really looking at because that's a lot of information given to a guy that really isn't in football shape yet. Yeah, you know, it was really severely overblown. I, I, I put a video out there of him working out and then one of him, you know, just kind of uh, kneeling over just like a lot of the other media folks that were at practice did. And the thing that you got to understand, and you mentioned it, the heat, it, it's, it's different in Nashville, you know. And you put that in addition to how quickly it heated up there. And then also what's left out of this so much is that he had to use an inhaler. And the pollen here in Nashville is really high. And I know – when I first got here, I dealt with a lot of allergy issues, and I still deal with that. I would imagine that he had a similar situation. So you combine that and the heat, yeah, I mean, they're, they're gonna, there's going to be sometimes you're going to react to it, and it's not gonna, you're not going to take to it well, and that's why they had the ice pack on his neck. But the thing that's so interesting to me is the very next day he went through practice, all of practice, and there's multiple videos of him being – perfectly all right, no signs of fatigue, and actually going through practice. So there really isn't an issue. And I, I think it's just one of those things where everybody loves a, a car crash, right? And, and they don't want to look at the fact that the car didn't really crash. It just stalled, and that's really what happened. And, Toronto, obviously those uh, two guys are going to be under the most scrutiny, right, because you're replacing – uh, A.J. Brown, and everybody said, oh, you're going to be the guy to be that big physical wide receiver. And obviously, people think Malik Willis is going to end up being the, the starting quarterback uh, sooner rather than later uh, there in Nashville. How rightly or wrongly uh, are a lot of, as you said, we like the car crash. That's uh, understandable. But how 
how rightfully or wrongly are we looking at these guys and saying, look, it's one workout, essentially, one couple, two, three days of workouts, and we're trying to say there's issues with some of these guys? Well, I think it's just like anything in football. It's never as big as you think it is or as, as small or, or minor as you think it is. You, you just have to kind of like take it for what, it, you know, in context. And I, I think when you look at Burks, the similarities in play styles, even body types and build, and you're going to have the comparison to A.J. Brown. It's going to be there, especially considering the fact that minutes after the trade was announced, Traylon Burks' name is the one that's announced as the pick. So they're going to be asked to do similar things. As far as Willis is concerned, the offense is based off a of quarterback movement, and that's something where he is, is at his best. So he could come in and, and watch and develop. And the offense doesn't have to change when he takes over. That's a big-time thing. And it will showcase what he's able to do. And I think that's how you have to look at it. When you think about this rookie class as a whole, you mentioned a guy like Traylon Burke, similar similar build as A.J. Brown. You talk about a guy, Malik Willis, who this, this, uh, this offense fits what he does. How much better is it for a rookie who's coming on a team that's already established and even though they're going to have a role, they can kind of like – you know, fill it out and not have to be so polished from day one. Yeah, I think when you look at Burks, you look at Willis, uh, even you look at Chick Conquo, uh, Kyle Phillips, Theo Jackson, these are all guys that, that are coming in and they're not expected to be the savior, so to speak, of a franchise that's struggling. All they're expected to do is contribute towards a team that has already been winning. So, you know, you don't have the, the big-time burden Burks, I think, has a bit of a burden. But outside of him, you don't have the burden of being like a franchise savior. So it is a good situation. They can come along and develop. There's already a winning culture there, so they don't have to worry about, you know, being expected to contribute towards turning things around or anything like that. So I think that's a positive for them. You look at Malik Willis. Uh, obviously, this is a team that went into the playoffs uh, last year, had a bye in the playoffs last year. Ryan Tannehill had his, had his struggles is there a thought, I mean, I'm sure there's probably two trains of thought, about when they expect Malik Willis to play. Obviously, if if Tannehill does what he's done in the past, right, he's good enough to get you uh, into the playoffs. Where's the team's thought? We know where the fans' thought's going to be. Where's the team's thoughts on uh, developing Malik Willis and how soon they think he could end up on the field? Well, they said that's really up to how quickly he picks things up, but they're taking more of a developmental approach to it. There's a lot of communication before Willis goes to the huddle, there's a lot of communication after the plays. So it, it is kind of like a slow walking process that they're just they're trying to bring him along. And I think it's the right thing to do. You don't want to get the David Carr effect, right, where you throw a guy out there, a Ryan Leaf effect, you throw a guy out there too early, and it becomes a train wreck. And I think that's the good thing with how the, the Titans situation is. you got Ryan Tannehill there that you could win with him. Maybe not a Super Bowl, but you could win with him. And Willis could just kind of, as I said, just sit back and continue to, to develop and learn. And that's the approach they're taking. Teron, I mean, I, I mean, obviously, I, I read the comments about Mike Vrabel. They asked him about Ryan Tannehill and Malik Willis. He was like, "Look, from what he's seen, you got three, two veteran quarterbacks and a rookie quarterback that's getting along. I mean, doing every, trying to do things the right way." I mean, I know I had you, you know, explained about Traylon Burks. I mean, what did you make of, you know, what, what uh, Ryan Tannehill said? Well, listen, I'm not here to mentor a guy, but he understands that obviously the young guy is going to be asking a lot of questions. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. 
you watch Ryan Tannehill in the locker room and you talk to guys about him, they all look at him as a leader. They all look at him as a great teammate. So for me, having interacted with those guys and, and, and seeing Tannehill how he is, I didn't really take to that as something truly negative and, and thinking, oh, he's going to sabotage Willis's, uh, you know, time and development. It just, he's right. His job isn't to mentor Willis, but I'm sure that there will be opportunities for him to do so, and he will do it. Case in point, when Willis and the offensive rookies got there to Nashville, he had those guys over at his house, you know, and he's talked to Willis multiple times, Tannehill that is. So it's already happened. So when I I heard the comments, I didn't make as much about it um, as, as some others did just because you have to put context to it. And like I said, he was right what he said. And the thing about the thing about this Titans teams this year, as you mentioned, I mean it's already a winning culture. You got, you know, obviously the health of uh, you know, you know, uh, obviously the health of two two is gonna be it's gonna, you know, Derrick Henry's gonna decide where this team goes. But when you add a guy like Traylon Burks, and, and right, wrong, and different, it ain't his fault that they, they decided to move on from AJ Brown. He wanted twenty five million. They couldn't come to a contract extension, it happens. But when you talk about this offense usually through the run game, is there a chance they can become more balanced if the air attack can become what they hope it can become. Yeah, they can become more balanced because you got Robert Woods in the mix too and Austin Hooper as well. So there's a, a, a thought process of having a starting five where any of the guys can score 20 points as opposed to having a starting five with one guy that could score 40 every night. So I think that's kind of the way that they're looking at it, just having a balanced attack. And that's something that you saw the Eagles do that in 2017 with some success as well. So it, it does allow them to have some balance if they want to do that. And I tell you what, I don't know if you watched him, but, I mean, he plays the same position as, as you did, uh, Ben, and that's uh, Chick Capwell, and he's a pretty impressive guy that they can move around and do a lot of things with, very similar to John Smith. And I got to ask you, I mean, I got to ask you a little bit more about that, uh, Teron, what you think? I mean, obviously I had a chance to interview the young man when he was uh, coming out. I mean, I, I hate doing the comparisons. <laughs> I, I am the anti but. Reminds you a lot of Delaney Walker from size, build. I, I, I mean, very, very athletic. And just like Delaney, when I remember Delaney first got drafted, I mean, they let him return kicks. When you look at how Maryland used them, how much more versatility when you got a guy that athletic that obviously can play fullback tight end, the U tight end? What what did you like about him and Ricky Camp, and how do you think he fits into an offense that's in desperate need for uh, tight end production? They used him mostly in line, and he was flexed a few times. And when he was flexed, they used him on the seam routes. And Willis had a couple beautiful passes to him during team and seven-on-seven periods. So you already see them starting to figure out ways to try to get him matched up. I think when you have a guy like that, that's what you do. And then it's interesting because if you really uh, dig into his film, you go back to 2018, he took a handoff against Illinois, and it was 54 yards for a touchdown. So – you could literally do anything you want with him, including putting him in the backfield. And I think, you know, even blocking-wise, you know, he, you could run that split zone with him and have him, you know, kick out that end and do those type of things. And uh, for him, you know, it, it's not a matter of taking a guy and pile-driving him on the opposing sideline. It's just a matter of getting in the way and, and moving that guy, and he's capable of doing that. So that's why there's so much you could do with him, a lot of 12 personnel, and even 13 if you want to do that. 
Teron Davenport, Jordan is here, ESPN Nation. NFL covers the Tennessee Titans. And Teron, before we let you go, how do you, as you we see the buildup uh, to the season here, look at this AFC South? Of course, we here in the state of Georgia, Matt Ryan now uh, up there in Indianapolis, Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville trying to act uh, like a competent franchise potentially with Urban Meyer out of the way. How, how do you see this uh, AFC South? Is it still... You know, Tennessee's to lose. Is there some fight from, uh, does Matt Ryan make that much of a difference in Indianapolis? How do you kind of view it right now ahead of, obviously, uh, a month out from training camp? Yeah, I think taking A.J. Brown out of the mix and, and putting Matt Ryan in kind of closed the gap a bit. But I still think the Titans and that defense is really, you know, where it's at. That defense is, in my opinion, the difference, although the Colts' defense is good, too. I still think the Titans are, are the team to beat in the AFC South, the Colts closely trailing and Jacksonville you know they did some things they reset the receiver market so they'll be kind of in the mix but I, I think it comes down to the Colts and Titans. Teron Davenport our guest here on three and out Teron appreciate the time thanks so much. No problem. Teron Davenport Jordan is here on three and out as we talk a little Titans football there and again I think it's kind of interesting uh been what we talked about because a lot of parallels there with Atlanta you got a quarterback you drafted in the third round that a lot of fans are eager to see get on the field. You got a wide receiver who's being asked to come in and replace a guy who was uberly productive. Calvin Ridley for Atlanta, Calvin Ridley, AJ Brown there in Tennessee. So some of the parallels as far as what they're expecting out of their draft class, very similar. Yeah, Kevin. And the thing is, that's what happens when you go to a team with expectations and you talk you see what Teron talking about uh, with a winning culture. A winning culture matters. A big reason why Kevin people are so astonished every time the Braves lose is because they're the World Series champs. <laughs> they don't supposed to lose. When, obviously, baseball, the best team just failed at a lesser rate than the worst team, what may have you. Football is very, very similar. But I always say this. When I was with the Tennessee Titans, you know, it wasn't a winning culture when I first got there, but it was but it was a very, very, like, you know, beneficial culture to young players. It became a winning culture, you know, more of my second and third year. When you talk about guys, you know, like Malik Willis, I mean, even though he went third round, Kevin, I mean, you understand the talent. The talent is the talent. And we talk about, you know, having a quarter, having an offense that's built on quarterback movement, that's right in, you know, uh, uh, Malik Willis' uh, wheelhouse. You talk about a guy, Traylon Burks, who's going to have to go out there and replace A.J. Brown. I forgot getting, getting a big-time slot receiver like Robert Woods. We'll see what happens. But, look, you're going to have to find a way to tackle Derrick Henry. You know, Honor Landry signed a huge uh, contract <laughs> extension in the offseason. And Mike Vrabel, man, coming off a coach of the year, uh, you know, type of type award. So we'll see. But, yes, I do think it is a Titans uh, uh, conference. I mean, uh, you know, Titans conference who lose. But you're going to still have to watch out for Matty Ice and them Cole. Yeah, we've got more to come here on this uh, Tuesday. Ken Segura, AJC.com. He'll join us coming up in the final hour. Georgia Tech with a big transfer in Tyson Famicon. We'll talk about that coming up in about 30 minutes here on 3 and Out. Good to have you back here. Hour number three right around the corner. We'll hear from Ken Segura of the AJC.com. He covers Georgia Tech as the Yellow Jackets with a couple of big transfer announcements in the last day. One at quarterback. We'll get to that. Also, Ben, I may know why the Braves are struggling in Milwaukee. A lot of errors. Couldn't, couldn't hit the ball. A lot of strikeouts. I think I have figured out the reason why, and I will let you know coming up when we start the final hour. We'll get to that next. It is 3 and Out Southern Pigskin Radio Network. We're streaming live at ESPNCoastal.com. Also live on Facebook and Twitter. We're coming right back. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. Good to have you back. Final hour of 3 and Out. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, Ken Segura going to join us. AJC.com. We'll talk some Georgia Tech football. They got a big transfer in Tyson Famicon. 
quarterback from Clemson. Also, E.J. Jenkins transfers in from South Carolina, 6'7", wide receiver, tight end. So we'll talk to uh, to Ken about that and what Jeff Collins is looking forward to here uh, coming up this fall. Tough schedule again, but uh, hey, some big transfers with some eligibility remaining, obviously, there for the Yellow Jackets. So Ken Seguera will join us coming up in just a little bit. Braves back at it tonight against the uh, the Brewers, Ben. Uh, they'll try to do better. They lost one to nothing last night. 16 strikeouts. Uh, one run scored on a wild pitch. And I think I, I understand why they're struggling in Milwaukee. Okay. You want me to lay it on you? Come on, give give us give, give uh, uh, that uh, sweet yes. sports science. Yes. I don't know if it's sports science. Well, but give, us apparently, that, give, us, give us that Kevinism. Apparently, the hotel that they're staying at, the, the Fister Hotel in Milwaukee, apparently it's haunted. That's where they're staying. It's a haunted hotel. And according to uh, some folks there yesterday, the power went out at the hotel mysteriously. No hot water, no water pressure. And that's just some of the issues. And you go down to find out that, you know, before, uh, many years ago, He-Man Choi, who plays for the Angels, said there was a ghost in his room. This was a great, this was a great quote. He was like, oh, I've seen ghosts before. Plenty of times. I was scared at first. <laughs> but, but I dealt with it after that. He said there was a ghost in his room. He said he could feel it standing over his bed. I'm sorry. I'm not staying at that hotel. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not staying there. But maybe now. that's why the Braves could hit the ball yeah. because, you know, they're dealing with, you know, uh, the uh, the extra – or the, uh, not extraterrestrial, the uh, – the what, what do you call it when you're looking at the, uh, the, the, the phantasm from the, from the beyond? Uh-huh, yeah. uh, they're dealing with ghosts and yeah. things like that in the hotel. That is the thing. Number one, how is this, how is this hotel even still, like, <laughs> allowed to even, uh, you, know, sell, uh, you know, sell rooms? The fact that you got ghosts in there – so let me get this straight. I just pay for a hotel stay. <laughs> I don't have any water pressure. If I walk in a hotel and it's like, I felt a ghost in my room, out, please. And that means I don't care where I am. I don't care if I'm with the Braves, the Titans, the Bucks, family, friends, wedding. Don't care. So let me get this straight. I come in the door, the door closes on its own. I didn't close the door. <laughs> I, go, I don't know if that happened. But I yeah. go to the bathroom. To, to take a shower. There's no water pressure. No hot water. There's no hot water. All of a sudden, not my lights go out. The whole the lights <laughs> in the whole place go out. And I and, and it's and, got the rep for being hunted. And, so. and, yeah, and then you go downstairs to try to talk to, I don't know, somebody that works there and they're like the hotel associate, they're like, oh man, this is normal. No, 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 no. Then, you, wasn't it? I, have I, you I, ever I, been in a place that you thought was a little spooky, a little, a little haunted, maybe. I, I have, I have, but see, that's more or less. Look, that's more or less like you know in your mind. But you know, you got, you got, you got, you got major leaguers saying, "Oh yeah, man, I've seen ghosts a whole bunch of times." I mean, at first I used to get scared, but then you know you go to this one hotel. So once again, no hot water, no water pressure, lights going out, <laughs> ghosts, and and mind you, we ain't even got to the food. I'm afraid. I mean, do you got full service <laughs> hotel? Well, who's gonna bring it up? Don't worry. Yeah, it'll be up there. It'll be floating you, down the hall. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. Now, make sure that when they knock, you you open up the door right now. Because you not you you open up the door. Might five come through later, the wall. Done. He'd be like, is, is anybody there? Nobody. And they'd be like, I mean, I don't I'll, know if I've been in like a place that I, I've been into a a hotel or two where it's been kind of it had that vibe. And I told like my wife and I did a uh, staycation. Mm-hmm. Uh, went to a hotel. Uh, here in this in this area, and it wasn't like 
hey, you're staying at a haunted hotel. But it had that vibe to it. Like, you walk down the halls, and the walls were kind of gray and all that. And, like, the curtains were that, you know, the white kind of slanted curtain. And you get in there, I'm like, you know, the the, the, uh, the light fixtures kind of had that, you know, rustic look of it. And I'm like, this is kind of weird. I told my wife, I said, look, look, I'm not a believer in ghosts. But if I was, this would be the place that would make me believe in it. Because it it just kind of, it was very quiet in there. Mm-hmm. There was cold drafts down the hallways. Like I, 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 if I'm, I'm not a believer in it. But I could, I, you could have convinced me then. We stayed, well, we stayed there. I think two nights, and I was like, "This is a wonderful establishment. It was a wonderful hotel. We had a, but it was, it kind of had that vibe of like, bro, I don't believe in like haunted houses and stuff, but like this could be one. This, this could be one." Would you would you have even stayed? No, like if you got that vibe. Like, but no, I, no, no. Because here's the thing, right? I remember last, last week we were talking about superstitions. Friday the Thirteenth. I'm not superstitious, but no, I no, can, no, but I can feel, yeah. Everybody, most of us, especially if you have children, you're paranoid. It don't take much. You walk up in a hotel. That, that's what you're really doing. You hear about the hotel. You walk in there. You say, "Okay, man, it's nice. All right." And then, because once the weirdness starts, it don't stop. You like, <laughs> I can see how that would affect your place. No, like, I mean, I'm just saying. You like, you like what? What is all this? You no, get no, to no, the ballpark. No, here, here, here it is. So you're the brains. You're like, is hey, hey, Izzy. Hey, what's up, Dan? Was there knocking on your wall at like two in the morning? You got a, uh, <laughs> I mean, you got any cold water? You got hot water over there? Nah, I ain't no hot water over here. You got any water pressure? No. Did you, I'm, did, I'm did, telling did, you. Did, did the lights just go out? No. Did the lights just just go out? Did you Did you just knock on my door, Izzy? <laughs> nah, it wasn't me. You no, know, look, I didn't have any weird knocks on the door or anything like that. But I'm just saying, like. Walking down the hallway, it was very quiet. I think the whole time we were there, we did not pass another person in the hallway on the floor we were staying on. So it was kind of dimly lit, no windows in the hallway, very kind of dark in there. I was like, it had that I mean, vibe. Think about this. Okay. It had that vibe. And you, again, you, you're was, walking down the hallway, you ain't seeing nobody. I didn't hear anybody. All of a sudden, yeah, all of a sudden you come, you know, you finna come in your room and you look down the hall and there is somebody. <laughs> but this probably isn't. But the problem is. The person you're looking at is looking at you. They're not trying to go in the room. They're just looking at you. So no, you I didn't see look. anything like that. Let me, let me tell you something, people. Let me tell y'all something. I ain't with the jokes. I ain't with the pranks. <laughs> if I knew that, if you were in a place you're like kind of weird, I might do that. Just stay in the hunger. Uh, I mean, I'm like, no, 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 just no, give no. you the thousand oh, 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 yards stare. Like things where I say, Yo, Kevin, listen. <laughs> Remember I talked about diving on somebody. If you want to know what it's like, you better take your narrow behind in that so you, room. So you, so you would fight a ghost. No, 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 no. If, if you let, thought let, it was let, a ghost, let me, let, me tell you, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something right now, okay? <laughs> if every time I come to my room with somebody at that door, I'm like, yeah. So you, so you leave when I leave, huh? And you better say something. <laughs> Cause at a certain point, right? No, no, okay. This is what I'm, I'm gonna just do. saying. No, that- this what I, no, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm just gonna say, no, 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 no. Go downstairs. Listen, man. What do you, what do you guys like refund policy? <laughs> I'm out of here. Why? Because y'all too calm. Because I had somebody come up to my room. Because there's ghosts on the floor. Here go, here go. And then and what if you say it's ghosts on the floor? And then what if the what if the you know what if the hotel attendant, you know, what if the hotel staff goes, yeah. What, what do you mean, yeah? No, no. Like, so the brain Oh, is, that's just Steve. He's the he's the resident here ghost here go. in the house. They go, oh man, you know, people been complaining about the ghosts all day. What do you, what do you mean people be complaining about the ghost all day? Yeah, man, you know the ghost. He do look crazy stuff. He'll go in the uh he'll go in the room the way you know turn off all the electricity. He'll turn off all the water pressure. <laughs> no hot water. You, you, you got the cold water again? Yeah. That would that would mess me up. Again, if I, I again this is I think I read the story from like 2016 Woo! where they said he said there was like 
He felt a ghost over his bed. I'm not like if I felt that, not staying there. I'm not look. I I'm, I've said I don't believe in that, but I'm not staying there. If you did convince me, like hey, Listen. while you're laying in the bed, there is a you know otherworldly being floating over over your bed. No, I'm not saying. I'm out of there. I'm done. Done. I'm probably going 0 for 4 at the plate that night no, no, and no, not no. striking out. No, I was like, I'm not I going mean, back to the hotel. Load management. Hey, well, hey listen, I had I, had, I, I had think Ozzy always like, I just sleep here at the clubhouse. How about that? I'll see y'all when you get back. Yeah, but here's, we're going to be in the same locker room, right? Yeah, I'm going to stay here tonight. <laughs> Hot water in the shower. <laughs> yeah. Water pressure in the shower. No ghosts. works. The bat boy is really a bat boy. He's not a he's Did not you a have ghost. anybody on the uh, in your playing career that was like big into like ghosts and stuff? You know, it's crazy, man. I didn't have I didn't have people that was really in the ghost. I had people that was really in the p- plane crashes. Like I, it got on my nerves. It started in college. You'd be like, "Yeah, hey, so what if the day you get on the plane? This is what you hear?" No, you don't say that. That's, no, but, 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 you want to talk about diving on somebody? That's when you dive. Say, like, hey, you, you hear this? I got a feeling the day is the day. What do you mean we're going down? <laughs> it's like, and I'm like this. I'm like, and why are you so happy about it? Hey, man, was our time to go? No, no, you can go on your own in a crop duster. <laughs> We're not today, and I, and I got that kind of stuff all the time. We, listen, no, look, I, 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 I just look. I, I'm one of those things. Like you find out who really believes in ghosts real quick because you go in there. It's like, hey, man, I don't believe in ghosts. Then you get him somewhere. You're like, I think this room might be a little haunted, a little spooky, and they'll be like. They start getting that feeling like, uh, yeah, this oh, kind of little creepy. Show me something, like, man. Watch this. Watch this. Watch what? Because we already were like, hey, what you want me to say? Listen, no, no. I'm gonna say something and watch somebody say something back. I don't have time. <laughs> don't. I'm not the teammate to select for that. Yeah. Go, 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 go. Get the kick. But I something. think we're getting a better idea of why they struck out 16 times yesterday and why. If they got hot water today and they win, go give them hot water today. Give them water pressure. So you're reaching out on behalf of the uh, the ghosts in, in Milwaukee and say, please. We need the hot water today so the Braves can get that dub. At the end of the day, that's, that doesn't seem... The ghost of Kevin Garnett. Go, go, go ahead and give him some hot water. Or Casper or whoever it is. Kevin Garnett in the Milwaukee? Oh, He'd be oh, in oh, Minnesota. Gian, I mean, yeah, yeah, Giannis. The, well, Gian, well, Giannis well, is I mean, still yeah, with yeah, us. Yeah. Well, yeah, He's still he, with us. I mean, he ain't in the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> so the Braves tonight, ghosts and all, Casper. against Milwaukee. Yes, we will... Uh, if you see somebody out there in the bat doing some kind of, you know, anti-hex thing, maybe, we, maybe it's true. If we see some ghosts in the stadium, you know, and uh, he looked like a trash can, and he's giving signals. Yeah, the Astros are in town. <laughs> That's no ghost. We'll come back. Ken Segura, AJC, will join us. Georgia Tech, a couple of big transfers. Uh, Tyson, or Tyson, Tyson Famicon, uh transferring back in or transferring in from Clemson. We'll talk to Ken about that next here. It's 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here, three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, glad you're making us a part of your day. Braves and Brewers coming up a little bit later tonight. 625, we'll have pregame coverage and first pitch at 740. Braves trying to bounce back after a one nothing loss last night. And we'll uh, obviously try to put bat on ball. 16 Ks last night by this Braves team and, again, some... Kind of disturbing trends with this team. I think they've got six or seven guys who are on pace for 200 strikeouts uh, in the year on the season, and that is certainly not. You can't win baseball games when you're striking out, making unproductive outs uh, that much. So we'll see if they can get that turned around. Maybe uh, get rid of the ghosts uh, there in the, the Milwaukee hotel as they uh, move forward. We are efforting Ken Segura, AJC.com. Talk a little Georgia Tech uh, football with him. We'll see if we can. Get him here. I think uh, we might be 
maybe a moment or two away from uh, from having Ken here on the show. We can talk some uh, some Georgia Tech football with him. As again, uh, you have Tyson Famicon, EJ Jenkins, two big transfers in the last couple of days coming over to Georgia Tech. And what does that mean for Jeff Collins and company as they move into the spring? Will there now be a quarterback battle uh, there in Atlanta for for Jeff Collins between Jeff Sims and and Tyson Famicon. We'll ask Ken Segura as he joins us now from the AJC.com covering Georgia Tech. Ken, welcome to the show. How are you? Good, good. How are you? Doing fantastic. Uh, big transfer yesterday. You know, uh, Tyson Famicon from uh, Clemson, former four-star quarterback, coming back to Atlanta. How big is that just for, I guess, competition's sake uh, there at the quarterback spot? And will it be open competition between him and Jeff Sims come fall? I mean, it'll be a competition, certainly. I think it's I think it's helpful just in the respect that they they only had three quarterbacks, scholarship quarterbacks on the roster. Now they have four, so it's a much better situation for depth considerations. But obviously, yeah, I, you know, to the degree of the competition, you know, Jeff Sims has been the starter for two years, uh, was the number one guy in, in the spring, and obviously, it's going to be coming from a position of where he doesn't have nearly the experience. But, uh, but yeah, but I would certainly if, if he, he gets up. In, in the fall, then that that's going to change some things. But I, I would certainly, I would think that, you know, certainly Jeff Jeff goes in as the number one. And I also bring over a guy. You get a guy in AJ. I mean, EJ Jenkins coming over from South Carolina, kind of like a, a receiver height, receiver tight end type builder. What do you see his uh, you know, his role going to be in uh, in his offense, especially when he's trying to bring, you know, I guess I guess a a down the field dynamic coming from the SEC coming over to the ACC. Right. Yeah. They. I mean, they've lost a couple. Uh, Productive receivers from last year's team, um, and so obviously they need some more depth. They could use some more depth there. And yeah, like you're saying, he's a he's a big target, a six seven, I think it is. Um, and so uh, yeah, I think you know the more weapons you can have in there because they're still a little bit. They've, they've got a number one, I think, in, in Malachi Carter, but they could use some guys that have had some playing experience. So I think I'm sure you can help there. Can you look at this uh, Georgia Tech roster heading into fall? I mean, there's been so much. Turnover with guys coming in and out of the program. How do you how do you keep track of it all? If you're a guy like Jeff Collins, how do you kind of evaluate your roster, knowing that uh, you lost you know guys to graduation, a number of guys, your best running backs now at Alabama, a couple other guys, uh, a couple or several guys have transferred out. You've brought a lot of guys in via the transfer portal. I mean, is this in some ways a completely new Georgia Tech team that's hard to get a grasp of? What what do you kind of see when you look at this roster right now? Yeah, I mean, certainly changes has been a, a, a significant theme of the offseason. It's not just the roster. Uh, you know, he fired uh, his offensive coordinator. I think they've lost four other assistants. They're like the, the offensive staff is almost entirely new. Um, they, they replaced the, you know, their secondaries coaches, and so um, and they hired another defensive end coach. They lost Marco Coleman, their defensive end coach. So it's a lot of it is. is really really different and new uh and we'll see how that all plays out you know, i think it's, it's it's 14 players coming in through the portal now they're they're probably not done yet there yet so um yeah it'll be a different look for sure i, I think and, they, and they've, a lot of it is young and so guys are going to be stepping in even even if they are returnees that haven't played a ton that they, they may be not be as familiar names to to fans uh, so it's a very, yeah, a very significant season for for Collins. It's uh, going to be a very different look for this team. I know, I know. This Georgia Tech team is still trying to figure out its identity, both on offense and defense. Still got the summer, still got the fall. But 
What are realistic expectations for Jeff Collins? I know, I know the odds makers aren't giving him a shot, and whoever put this schedule together is going to be really, really difficult. What is realistic expectation for Jeff Collins this fall? Boy, I guess it depends on who you ask. Um, I mean, I asked uh, I asked Todd Sansbury, the athletic director, and said, "Is is a bowl game kind of a, a reasonable expectation for for fans?" And he said, "Yeah, that's you know, I, I, he, he thinks it is. He's not going to put a number on it for for what he wants, but um, but obviously, yeah, you know, you can look at it a couple of different ways. One is that you know, they, in his first three seasons, they won nine games." And so, and like you said, the schedule is tough, and it's it's you know given what they've lost, it's not it's not. I think it wouldn't be a surprise to anybody if they if they won three again. But then if you look at another way, you know they were there were six games they lost where they had uh, the ball in the fourth quarter, either tie or take the lead. So it it says to you maybe maybe they were you know maybe you know the ball bounced a couple of different ways you know a few times. Instead of being a three-win team, they've been a five-win team, and you look at this team's uh, win, you know, ceiling a little differently. Um, but as you said, the schedule is tough. You know, you want to see improvement certainly on, on three games, and whether that means getting to four or five or six, uh, I guess it depends on how much you know faith they're putting in this roster and this new staff. Um, so I think you know if they're somewhere in that range, and obviously it's a very big difference, four wins and six wins. But I think that's kind of I would think that's that's where you would think they, they end up, or, or at the start, that's where you think they, they, they would end up when the season ends. Kim, when you look at Georgia Tech, I mean, they play in maybe the most volatile division in college football. Volatile from Sansa, right. who, who knows who's going to win from year to year in that. Right. Uh, is that is that a good thing for Georgia Tech in that there's a lot of upward mobility seemingly every year, and how much do you think they benefit from this versus maybe what the ACC has talked about not next year, but the year after, going to more of an open scheduling situation. That's, that's a good point, and I think that's that's also, uh, yeah, certainly in a division where it seems like every year there's a new champion. Um, that that is is you would think that suggests that they've got more of a chance than maybe you would think at the start. Um, and then also too, you know, Miami is a new coach, Duke has a new coach, Virginia, Virginia Tech, all new coaches, and so. You're never quite sure how all that will all shake out. Miami certainly looks like it's on its way back. North Carolina looks like it should be tough. But when you have new coaches and, and new schemes and all that, you know, maybe that gives Georgia Tech – and actually Georgia Tech is its own newer coordinator. But that sort of shifting around, maybe that gives Georgia Tech a little more of a chance than, than you would think. So, yeah, and obviously when they go to – assuming they go to a one-division format, um, as far as their chances of getting into – you know, a championship game that that stretches things out, and I, I think even as it even in, as as they're in the coastal still, it's still gonna be tough. But but yeah, maybe there's more of a chance for for uh, for Tech than than, than you know the prognosticators would think at the start. And what 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 would that rank for a guy like Jeff Collins? Obviously, he, I mean, look, it's it's been tough on him since he got to Georgia Tech. I mean, you talk about you know last year Wake Forest and Pitt, nobody saw them doing what they did. Clemson is still the class of the ACC, but where 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 would it rank for a guy like Jeff Collins if he does indeed win six games with this schedule? I mean, I know people ain't going to like it, but that's that's potentially ACC coach of the year type stuff when you look at the <laughs> schedule top to bottom. Um, If that happened, I think you would get consideration. I think you're right. Uh, again, looking at the schedule, you know, on top of Clemson and, and Georgia, and they play out of conference UCF and, and Ole Miss, 
and then you know the the other coastal teams as we mentioned. Plus, they go to Tallahassee to play Florida State. Um, yeah, that would be significant. And you know, whether he's coach of the year or not is 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 would is you know I just kind of depend on what else happens around the league. But but yeah, I think that would be an accomplishment and, and, and certainly a sign that you know things are going in the right direction with him. Ken, to that end, you look at the uh, you look at the ACC. Where do you see them as league? I know a lot got written about them uh, after the meetings last week. Of hey, is college football on the verge of a massive uh, you know reconfiguration just because of the two globes? I think somebody called it of uh, you know finances that are floating around out there. But where is this league? Is it Clemson and everybody else? Is there signs that teams are going in the right direction? Where do you see this league from a a power standpoint and as we talked about, is there, you know, maybe people looking around saying, well, you know, Georgia Tech hasn't been good. They've only won a three-win team. Maybe they could jump up uh, significantly because it seems like nobody really has a clue outside of Clemson where the, where the strength of this league kind of lies. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's a good observation. You know, certainly Miami, I think, you know, their fans have always been kind of ready for that resurgence of, of – you know, to going back to their their glory years, and I think definitely, it seems like they put a lot much more of a, a financial investment into into that program uh, with with Mario Cristobal and other things they've done there in this past offseason. So, you would think they've got a chance to to you know, if not be the Miami they once were, at least be much more of a player in in the ACC and and you know potentially nationally. North Carolina, the way they've recruited in the last few years with Mac Brown. You're and you're kind of thinking they could put it all together and, and potentially challenge, you know, Clemson, um, given the you know the talent that they've collected there. Uh, although they've had to make some changes also on their staff, uh, and they lose uh, Sam Howell. But um, you know, as far as like, yeah, who could potentially kind of change up the order? I would go there. You know, certainly Wake Forest, as you mentioned, has become you know more of a consistent uh, you know challenger in. in in the league, it's tough to see them going toe to toe with with Clemson, but there's only a team that you could see becoming, you know, a, a figure in the top 25 this season. Um, and as far as yeah, I guess this particular season, and as far as maybe, I guess it's to seems like potentially shake things up. I would I would start with you know certainly Miami and North Carolina, and obviously you will you know, as I said with new coaches at Virginia Tech, Virginia. We'll see what they can do. But, um, yeah, I would think uh, those would be the ones that I would say have the, the best chance of becoming, you know, of becoming a, a second or third team to, 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 to give some legitimacy to the ACC after Clemson. And I mean, even, even sticking with that notion of the ACC, I know it's all about, you know, the SEC and the dollars. You got, like, guys like Lincoln Riley going over to the Pac-12 to try to right. bolster that, that conference. I know you talked about Miami and the, and, the, and the glory years. You talk about North Carolina – and the way they've recruited. You talk about, you know, maybe you don't really know what's going on in Tallahassee. How much, how important is it for Jeff Collins and Georgia Tech to be good? Not just for the, not saying that they care, but not saying just for the sake of Georgia Tech, but for the ACC and maybe even college football at large. Um, it's, it's always better, you know, if you have more competitive teams. And, and Georgia Tech has not been really at all for the last three years. Um, yeah, I mean, I, for, for the sake of the league and for, you know, to, to some extent the college football, I think when you have uh, more teams that can, that can, you know, get to bowl games and, and beat and win non-conference games, I think that's, that's really important. It's obviously become, 
you know, the SEC is because there's a dominant conference uh, in terms of the way they've recruited and obviously winning national championships and and uh, and then the money they're getting out of ESPN. It you know it certainly looks like it. It, it potentially it could become them in the Big Ten as far as just you know the the true kind of I guess uh, you know power conferences I guess are the strongest conferences in the league or in the in the in the FBS. So. Yeah, the more you can have a team like Georgia Tech that's going to at least challenge Georgia, at least to some degree, and, and win some of these games uh, against the SEC that they play seemingly every year out of conference besides you know besides Georgia, it's better just to, to have more of a balance, I, I think. But uh, but yeah, that's so. But as far as getting to that point, it, it it it'll take some more time, I think. But yeah, it, it if it gets there, it'll it'll definitely be a a boon for 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 the ACC. Ken Segura, AJC.com, joining us. Ken, finally, did want to kind of follow up on that. When you you see the comments coming out of the ACC uh, meetings last week about, uh, you know, where college athletics is heading and and trying to keep up with the Joneses, uh, you know, money-wise, when you, as someone who obviously covers this stuff on a daily basis in one school, where's, you know, Georgia Tech position for what could be the, the changing landscape? And is that sky is falling hysteria? Or do you think there is actually something coming uh, in the world of college athletics, where the financial divide is is going to become so great that there is going to be a restructuring of of some of these schools. Um, you know, I don't know exactly what it'll look like. You know, to to give some contact, Jack Swarbrick, the the AD at Notre Dame, was thinking about it. Yeah, how he sees, um, you know, there being kind of a breakaway within Division One of of the potentially two power conference, like the Big Ten, the SEC. Um, and then Jim Phillips, the the new commissioner in the ACC, had talked about, you know, FBS as a whole breaking away from the auspices of the NCA and kind of being governed on its own. And so those are two kind of different scenarios, but certainly very revolutionary or you know, kind of ground shaking in terms of what they would mean for how college athletics has been done for for decades. But um, as far as how Georgia Tech situated, I don't know. I mean, I think. Right now, certainly in the last three years, they've, they've, you know, specifically been at the bottom of uh, among the power conferences, and so that's obviously a good position to be in if if we're talking about, you know, something earth-shaking or, or you know, kind of paradigm-shifting where maybe there is something like a super league or whatever. And who knows how many years we are from something like like that? But but um, you know, obviously, the more Georgia Tech can can prove itself as as a team. You know, in the ACC and in the greater of SBS that, that deserves to be a player that's been winning consistent games that draws a lot of fans and is is a you know a a, a, a productive general gen, revenue generator that that's the better for them. Um, you know, in recent years, attendance has gone down a little bit. You know, they're 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 trying to as best they can to find new sources of re, of revenue uh, for them to to stay viable, but it's a challenge. You know. You know, when you're not winning a lot of games, and when you're in a in a town like Atlanta where you're facing so much competition, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I guess all I have to say, you know, not just for the sake of of this season or 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 for the ACC, but you know, for their spot at the table, I guess that you know, in the next coming years, I think it probably is important for them to be more of a player uh, competitively in in the league and, and in the in the whole of FBS. Ken Zagira, AJC.com, covers Georgia Tech. Our guest, uh, Ken, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Yeah, my pleasure. Anytime. Appreciate it. Ken Zagira joining us here on 
Three and out. We'll come back. We'll respond to some of that and more. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here on three and out. Good to chat uh, with Ken Segura there. AJC again, Tyson Famicon transferring in from Clemson there at quarterback. He said, look, Jeff Sims been a quarterback, has been the starter for two years, going into the third year, probably not going to get beat out, but more competition there uh, at the spot. And then you talk about a big year for Jeff Collins, uh, Ben. Three wins in each of his first three years. I know at a certain point people would say, okay, you're transitioning from Paul Johnson's offense. Well, I mean, at this point, going into year four, there's I don't know that there's anybody left on the roster that Paul Johnson recruited, right? I mean, so I don't know that uh, that's going to be much of a, uh, a stumbling block. Uh, uh, to to you anymore if, if you wanted to look at it that way. To me, the most interesting thing, uh, Ben, that he said is you graduated guys, you've had guys transfer out, and he said, what, 14 or 15 guys have come in via the transfer portal plus recruits? So I'm trying to think what the signing class was, but let's just say it was 20 guys. That's 35 guys, almost half the roster that are new, right? You, you bring in recruits, and he said they may bring in a few more. I mean, how difficult is it? to get a read on your roster when there's that much turnover on on your team. Where, again, 15, 16 guys transferring in, guys who have left, plus freshmen coming in that get a chance to play. That, to me, I, I don't know what to expect uh, from, from Jeff Collins. You say, well, you can expect what they did last year. H- how? You've got a whole new team coming in with guys who have played at other programs and have had success some at some other programs. Could be a different thing. And again, the ACC Coastal, I mean, if you tell me you know who's going to win, I'll I'll probably tell you. Uh, you don't know what you're talking about because nobody knows what they're talking about when it comes to the ACC Coastal. I think what happens, Kevin, is uh, when you talk about such a big turnover, it's almost like you're starting over from scratch again because the greatest thing about the holdovers is they act. They help, they help the new guys get acclimated to the culture. They help the new guys get acclimated to this is what coach is really trying to do. They become the faces of the team, the voices of the team, the leaders of the team. The drivers of the team. Most teams, like a Georgia, they got decimated by the draft. 2019 LSU team got decimated by the draft. And you saw how different the team was and after that. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and one could say LSU has been trying to get back to 2019 since. We'll see, we gotta, you know, we'll see what happens with a team like Georgia. But a team like Georgia Tech, while it's great that you're getting transfers from Clemson, South Carolina, these are still new guys. These are still guys that got to get used to the offense, defense, or whatever side of the ball they're on. Now, coming from a place like Clemson, it's a winning culture, right? But while you're coming from a winning culture, you're not necessarily coming to a winning culture. I think the thing about Jeff Collins is he got to ask himself, look, man, what is going to be our direction? Who are we going to help get a, you know, you know, move us in that direction? And how do we find a way to show some level of you know, improvement on a schedule that is unforgiving from top to bottom. I mean, even your out of conference is unforgiving. I mean, not not to mention, I mean, <laughs> you gotta play Georgia. You gotta Central play Florida, Central Florida, Central Ole Florida, Miss, Georgia. Ole Miss. That's before you even get into your division. So I think for a guy like Jeff Collins, he understands that look, I want I, I want the job at Georgia Tech. I understand how how difficult it is. Like he was coming, he was obviously he's coming to two, uh, you know, he's coming back to the ACC when Clemson they was running the ACC, and then obviously you look at 2021 with Wake and Pitt, but you still got to you still got to he still got to make a decision to say to himself, look, having Sims back at quarterback definitely helps. Losing Jameer Gibbs sucks. Let's just <laughs> let's just call it what it is. But Kevin, with this schedule, you know, 
If he can find a way to go out there and you got listen, you're gonna have to win some games. Because if you told me in 2021, regardless of what Clemson had, Clemson still was a 10-win team. You was one of those 10 wins. You all, you had you had them beat. But you can't have this shock feeling of, oh man, they didn't think we would be in the game. The same Sam Howell led North Carolina team. You you manhandled them, even though it was in Mercedes-Benz Dome in Atlanta. I just think that you got to build off some of this momentum. You got certain things to look forward to. Look, and I do think that right, wrong, and different, man. They expect you, whether you're a Georgia Tech fan, whether you're a Georgia Tech, you know, uh, hater or whatever you want to call it, Jeff Collins is going to have to show some improvement because three wins is not going to get it regardless of who you're playing. Because, Kevin, while we understand the dynamics of who they're playing, well, oh, man, they got this team. You are doing it for two reasons. One for the, the, the players on the field and one for the future players that's coming. Because Jameer Gibbs left because of the losing. Meaning, no, no, no. If we were winning, I'm, I'm a Georgia Tech Yellow Jacket. Like, if we're winning, I'm here. But he said, my, my collegiate career is going to be tied to where I win and how I play. Well, I'm playing well. But we're just not winning. And he didn't see any winning in sight. Now, I, I, I get it. You know, to be able to get a guy like Jameer, getting, you know, getting the backup coming from Clemson is huge as well. But I want to say I am benefiting from these players and not just having these players. We'll see what happens. But like I said, you get both eligible in 2022, Mr. Collins, that's contract extension stuff. But you know, just like I know, Kevin, if you go from three, three, and three, and three, you're talking about six, seven wins, what's going to be the encore in 2023? Which that, that's going to happen when it happens. Jeff Collins is going to have to I go out I think for him, he better worry about that when he gets to yeah, that exactly. point. I, mean, I, I, yeah. I, I'm definitely, I definitely know. He's not looking that far down the road, but Kevin, I think what hurts Cle- what hurts Georgia Tech was not the Clemson, it's what Wake and Pitt did. Because if listen, if Clemson wins ACC, all right, Pitt was known for defense. You see, Kenny Pickett, Wake, those are the two teams in freaking Bank of America Stadium, Charlotte, not Clemson, who still had ten wins. So, because unfortunately, the fans live in perception. Amen. Pitt did it. Okay, sure. Wake did it. And, and and mind you, we're not talking about the similar circumstances. I mean, Pitt also had the Blitnikoff, uh, you know, winner. They also had the only number one overall pick and a quarterback. That helps. But I do think, though, when you look at what you did against Clemson, because DJU is coming back, uh, we, you know, hopefully he's the DJU of 2021 and not the new improved <laughs> DJU. And, 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 you, and you see what happens, because I do think if you get, you know, once you get the three wins, four, you know, you start saying to yourself, okay, man, we got a shot. And like I said, I mean – People talking about going to Tallahassee. It's good. Tallahassee. Going to Tallahassee ain't what it used to be. At least it hasn't been as of sure, late. Absolutely. But you're going to definitely have to go out there and try to get you some big wins. Because like I said, it's, it's a lot of unknowns, not just at Georgia Tech, but littered throughout the ACC this year. It's a bunch of – all the I mean, what? Virginia, Virginia Tech, Miami, new co- Duke, new coaches. There's new coaches all over, even though Mario Cristobal got a lot of money to work with down there. You know, Miami – I mean, Miami ain't been the same. My goodness, it's been a, it, what, one ACC championship appearance. But I do think Jeff Collins understands the task at hand. They're just going to have to start. They're going to have to get some momentum in a, in a hurry because if not, it could be a long season yeah, for the for I, the I think I think if you're looking at that program, you just got to see something that's, as you said, pushing you in the right direction other than three wins, three wins, three wins. You want to get to that, at least play for the postseason and move from there uh, into some kind of command. I mean, because, again, for all the Paul Johnson detractors who say, uh, you, you can't be right. 
mean, Paul Johnson went to the ACC championship yes. a couple of times. He won one, went to the Orange Bowl, won yes. the Orange Bowl. So he did some of these things that people said you couldn't do. And was a consistent winner with, in yeah, ACC. Then when you went with a, a more, I guess, modern guy, yeah. it, and again, I know you usually, hey, you're transitioning out of, it hasn't translated into yes. into wins uh, the way I think a lot of people thought it could at this point in in his stay. He's got, again, a big fourth year coming up. We've got more to come. Braves and Brewers in just a little bit. It's 3 and Out, Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here on 3 and Out. Kevin and Ben, Braves and Brewers coming up 625. Tucker Davidson gets the call up to get the start tonight for the Braves. Tyler Matzik on the 15-day injured list. They go against uh, Adrian Hauser and the Brewers tonight. But Ben, we talked about uh, the XFL and just the marketing with The Rock and uh, you know, getting behind it and just breaking news. E- uh, XFL strikes a deal with ESPN, ABC, FX to have their games on. So USFL, ouch, another blow uh, as the USFL out there playing all their games in one stadium and changing the rules in the middle of the season. We'll get to at, that tomorrow, but I thought that was true. At the end of the day, Kevin, this is about reputation, right? You think about The Rock. Everything, that, I mean, listen. It, the Rock said, I never ever said I got to have the biggest movies. I want to be the biggest movie star. I never, I mean, and, and everything he touches, he understands is attached to him. I mean, with the, with the series that he had, when he, he, I mean, he was doing a TV series. That was incredible. I think he had, I think he has a, a alcoholic beverage, right? That, that's, that, that's successful. And, and, and the mere fact that he has, you know, more fans following him on social media than most people, you know, most of these stadiums will pack throughout the course of a year. And look how strategic it is. Oh, with the Rock, Danny Garcia. Oh yeah, uh, every last uh, every last NFL player will automatically get an XFL contract at the end of the year. Oh oh, we're not. Oh no, we're gonna have training camp actually in the cities that we play in. Oh, when it comes to our room and board, we're gonna be able to take care of that so that every dollar that they get is, is going to them. Oh, and we're gonna get ESPN. We're gonna get Disney. And Kevin, that's just everything else is already negotiated. They just put it out at different times. I mean, just wait, 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 what? So if you're in the USFL, hey man, may God bless you. Yeah, they, had, they, they announced a rules change today in the middle of the season, and about an hour after that, the XFL's like, and we're on ESPN, ABC, uh, FX for our whole season uh, for the next three years. Listen, at the end of the day, I saw, I saw. Listen, I mean, uh, you know, Anthony Beck, you know, uh, a friend of mine, seeing him taking pictures with The Rock. I'm just saying, Kevin. At the end of the day, The Rock. That's a, that, that's, a, that, that's a certain prestige that comes with that, and I don't even know who sure. the owner of the USFL is, but you you better get ready. Well, that was one reason I thought from the beginning that the you know XFL Part 2 had a good chance. When Vince McMahon, again, the league I thought was doing well until COVID shut it down. And, and, it did well, again, twi- and, and, and it did well twice. And, and again, a startup league with a shutdown where you can't have fans and you can't operate for three, four weeks, I mean, that's not going to help anybody. So I think having the Rock's name associated with it, uh, Ben, as you said, that's uh, that's one of those things where – from an awareness standpoint, from a following standpoint, uh, in entertainment, and it doesn't get much bigger than that. And you know he's going to have partnerships lined up where it's, I won't say it's fail-proof, but it's going to be put out there in a way where, look, I think unlike Vince McMahon, and again, I think each iteration of the XFL has been different, right? XFL 1 was Vince McMahon saying, I want to do football. I'm going to make it crazy and fun, Right. Guys can put whatever they want on their jersey. Mm-hmm. They can do whatever we want. We're going to have dudes running around with cameras on the field. We do whatever we want. XFL Part 2 was, I want to make a league that competes with the NFL. We're going to do our own rules, and we're going to be legitimate. We're not going to have craziness. And we're going to, XFL 2.0, we're partnering with the NFL. We're doing, so I, I think they're going around a, a, a completely different way. We're out of time. Braves coming up 
in about 25 minutes. We'll see you tomorrow here on 3 and Out.